Good evening and welcome to our Champaign City Council meeting for November 10th, 2020. I'd like to call this meeting to order and invite you to join me for a moment of silence followed by the pledge. Your Honor, we have township this evening. Madam, Madam Mayor, we're oh, going we down. have township. Hi, <laughs> yeah, okay. I'd like to call the township meeting to order. <laughs> All righty, and I need to get that. There's a reason Andy's on here. Uh, I need to pull up that agenda because I don't have that one pulled up. That one pulled up. <laughs> yeah. Chairperson Fine, and I think it's a roll call at this point. Well, let's do the roll call. Board member Gladney. Present. Kyles. Here. Pianfetti. Here. Stock. Here. Beck. Here. Brick. Here. Bruno. Here. Foreman. Chairperson Finan. I am here and now I have the agenda pulled up. So I need an approval of the minutes, please. Chairperson Finan, I move that we approve the minutes of the regular board meeting from October 6, 2020. Second. Is there any discussion? Seeing none, will the clerk please call the roll? Board member Gladney? Yes. Kyle? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Ricks? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Chairperson Finan? Yes. The minutes are approved. Do we have any correspondence? I have none, Your Honor. Okay. Do you want to talk to the summary of expenditures? Yeah, there's nothing really specific outside of the fact you'll notice it's it's a little higher than normal and much of that speaks to the amount of rental assistance we've been providing, uh, which I can touch on at a later point, but outside of that, nothing out of the ordinary. Okay, we need a motion to approve and place on file. Chairperson Fine and I move that we approve the September 2020 summary of expenditures and place on file. Second. Is there any discussion? All those in favor signify by, oh no. Roll call please. Board member Gladney? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bricks? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Chairperson Finan? Yes, motion is approved eight to zero. We have the first quarter report. Chairperson Finan, I move that we accept the first quarter report of fiscal year 2021 and place on file. Second. And uh, Township Supervisor, do you want to speak to this? Yeah, there's nothing significantly remarkable. You'll notice a slight increase in our general assistance cases. Um, what was left off, and my apologies for that, was that our rental assistance um, has, of course, been very significant. Uh, we've provided $37,108 so far in the first quarter of this fiscal year. That is just a hair under what we provided in all of last year for housing assistance. Uh, that's a combination of our regular rental assistance program, our um, CDBG money, of course, in which we're a subgrantee to the city of Champaign. Uh, that's for COVID-specific rental and mortgage assistance, uh, as well as um, emergency solutions grant money. So. Um, 
as is, as we all expected, of course, with the increase in um, eviction notices, not evictions because there's still a moratorium, we've seen a lot of uh, demand for housing. And um, I know you're going to speak to that later in the council meeting, but uh, we continue to meet the need at this point. But it's, as I noted, we're uh, one quarter of the way through the year and we've provided virtually our whole year's fund in housing assistance. So we have a plan and that's what's most important. But um, as you talk to your constituents, you know, they're, I'm sure they're telling you that they're struggling and they in fact are struggling. And, and that's, you know, of course, evident in the assistance that we've provided thus far. Okay, are there any council or town board comments or questions? Seeing none of the clerk, please call the roll. Board member Gladney? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Doc? Yes. Beck? Yes. Britt? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Chairperson Finan? Yes. Um, it is approved uh, eight to zero. Next item is the calendar of meeting minute or calendar of meetings. I think we have a motion to approve from town board member Stock. I'm having a hard time hearing him, and I don't know if it's just me. Um, is there a second? I'll second. Okay. Um, board member Stock, you may want to try leaving and coming back. You're all locked up. Um, are, uh, does anyone have any questions about the calendar? Council member Gladney? Uh, is that April 6th date? Is that correct? Uh, that may be a date uh, that we have to change. My apologies for missing that. At this point, I was just hoping 2021 arrived. I wasn't really looking <laughs> um, We'll change that, uh, assuming that's the date of the election. Okay. Okay. Any others? Clerk, please call the roll. Board member Gladney? Gladney? Yes. Kyle? Yes. P and Fetty? Yes. Stock, are you there? I am, yes. Okay. Beck? Yes. Britt? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Chairperson Finan? Yes. It approved eight to zero. Next item is the resolution 2020-1101. Chairperson Fine and I move that we accept resolution 2020-1101 determining the amount of money established to be necessary to be raised by the tax levy. It's a mouthful. Se second. We have a motion and a second. Uh, Township Supervisor, do you wish to speak to this? Sure, Your Honor. As you noticed, uh, we're looking at increasing our levy by about 5.79%. Of course, that's not a tax increase. That's just capturing any growth that's occurred uh, in the city in the assessed value. We are a uh, tax cap organization, so ultimately the increase will be 5%. Uh, this is the first step in levying our, um, that dollar amount. We'll have a public hearing in December uh, in which the town clerk will post that in the News Gazette and... Uh, assuming no issues will adopt this levy uh, via ordinance in December. So 
it's consistent with what we've done in the past. We capture all the growth that we can uh, with assessed value new construction, um, but we don't raise our rate or change anything else. Okay, are there any questions? All right, seeing no questions or comments, is there anyone in the audience that wishes to address this issue? Madam Mayor, I see no one with their hands raised. Okay. Um, well, the clerk or anybody, nobody has comments, I assume. Will the clerk please call the roll? Board member Gladney? Yes. Kyle? Yes. P and Fetty? Yes. Doc? Yes. Beck? Yes. Rick? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Chairperson Finan? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero, or the resolution passes eight to zero. And the next one, council member, town board member Stock. Um, Chairperson Finan, I have a procedural question for the city attorney. Um, I'd like to slightly make an amendment to this bill. Do I do that here or do we approve? The I think we need to move and second it and then you would move to amend. Okay, that's what I thought, but I couldn't remember. Okay, in that case, I move that we accept uh, township, sorry, switch pages, uh, ordinance 2020-1102 compensation ordinance. Second. Okay, and then did you wanna move to amend it? Yes, um, I would like to amend the um, proposal to increase a very modest increase to 1% for uh, May of 2021 to May of 2022, 2% 2 salary increase May 22 to May 23, 2% May 23 to May 24, 2% May 2024 to May 2025 for both the township supervisor and the township assessor positions. Is there a second? Second. We have a, a motion to amend and a second are there any technical questions on the motion to amend? Councilmember Gladney. So, um, Township Supervisor Kornstrom, can you explain to us what would be the budgetary impact uh, to make this particular change? Um, yeah, I mean, um, th there would be minimal um, budgetary impacts, of course. You know, we're looking at a difference of, um, if I'm doing my math right, 3%. Um, I put, it's, it's one of these awkward events in local government where I put together a resolution to determine the compensation for elected officials over the next four years, not knowing if that's going to be myself or the assessor, but understanding, um, you know, of course, where we're at um, community-wide as we deal with COVID, um, what our needs are and, you know, just what our plans are moving forward. So um, I felt as though, um, a 0% was the best thing at this point, considering where we're at with um, the pandemic. So financially, we can absolutely absorb those costs. We've been, um, we've received quite a bit of grant money this year that has offset some of our normal spending. Um, and quite frankly, the increase that we're speaking of would be pretty minimal. Um, so the answer in short is, as we can increase, or we can, um, we can absorb those increases. Okay, thanks. Councilmember or Town Board Member Bruno. Um, I'm supportive of this. My technical question is uh, maybe for 
Fred Stevens, and that would be, you know, when we amend something like this orally, the lawyer in me wants to make sure that we're doing so without any ambiguity. And I'm looking at the uh, proposed ordinance and it had dollar amounts for each of those four years. And then in parentheses, it had 0%, 1%, 1%, 2%. The way I understand town board member stocks motion is that its percentages would change to 1%, 2%, 2%, and 2%. Am I understanding that correctly? Am I, am I understanding council or town board member stock? Did I understand that correctly? Yes, yes. I'm sorry. I thought you were, I wasn't sure if you were. Yeah, well, I just want to make. Yes, that is, I'm those numbers are correct. I'm supportive of the concept and I just want to make sure that, is that enough clarity for the legal people that simply stating those percents and are they compounded? Like when you apply 2% in the second year, it's 2% of the 101% from the first year. Is that right? They are compounded. That's accurate. If, if I can, this is Fred Stevens. If I can speak just a little bit to this, because I'm not, I'm, I'm maybe in the same boat as council member Bruno. I'm not, uh, I'm not understanding the numbers precise enough. Uh, is there, is there some, somebody who's got a piece of paper with this written down? I, I, I looked at I looked at the percents. I didn't do the math on each thing specifically. I get I can do that real quick. Or uh, I, that, I, I think that's that's one of the issues. The other the other question I have is is uh, there is a preclusion from uh, 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 well there 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 is some statutory preclusion with respect to salaries. I don't have that in front of me now. Uh, but I guess I'd, I'd make that a caveat. There's a, a deadline to raise salaries for the next term of office. And that's, these are uh, reflective of the next term of office. I just don't know if the questions have been asked. Uh, I haven't talked to anybody about that. That actually uh, uh, completed by um, um, now effectively since our next meeting is in December. Um, yeah, I can do the math. It's going to take me some time, and I don't do math well, especially when I'm on the spot on live TV. But um. <laughs> and if if Fred Stevens thinks that that our oral motion to speak in terms of percentages is adequate, <clears throat> then I'm comfortable with it. I just want to make sure. If that, I, uh, I'll speak to that. The oral motion is is uh, adequate. In other words, an or oral motion to amend an ordinance is always adequate. Uh, uh, I just want to make sure it's complete. It, it's, it, when you're doing this on the fly, it's easy to, to uh, uh, interpolate numbers as, as you've already pointed out. Um, so when I see, uh, yeah. yeah, I haven't written any of the numbers down as we've gone through. I'm looking at this on uh, online and if you're saying you want to change the 1% to 2%, is that what I'm hearing? And also, the I think he wants to change the first year to from 0% to 1%. Right. 
I think I did the math correctly, but Supervisor Corn, so let's see if we got the same numbers. Um, if and I, Fred, do I do I need to put this in the motion somewhere, or do we? What do you want me to say? <laughs> well, I, I I think we'll take the motion as going with your number <laughs> numbers. If the mayor is acceptable to that, uh, just want to make sure it's understandable to everyone. That's all. I think everybody understands that we just have to calculate the numbers, and I think we're capable of doing that. So I, so I just did all well, that. Council's comfortable. If council's comfortable, I don't mean to preclude you from voting, certainly. Okay, so we have a motion to amend. We're taking technical questions on that. Does anybody else have a technical question? Council member Stock or town board member Stock. Supervisor Cornstrom, could you talk a little bit about how the city of Champaign township salaries for assessor and supervisor compared to similar sized townships around the area? Yeah, we did a, uh, we did a comparable this year um, and um, it, it combines the, the uh, salaries of the assessor, the supervisor, um, and then it, it uses population and total EAB of the community. And so um, in summary, we're one of the higher population and EAB combined townships. And we have, um, we're, we're in the top, you know, definitely the top quarter, probably top 10% of 12 comparable townships. Um, and we're in the lower third of salaries. So we are, um, we're definitely lower than our comparables um, when you combine population, um, geographic location and EAB together. Um, our increases that were proposed in this resolution we're consistent with other townships over the next four years, but our starting level, if you will, is um, lower than most. Absolutely. Did that answer your question? Anyone else with technical questions or council member stock? Do you still have questions? No, I'm fine. Thank you, Supervisor okay. So anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Uh, Madam Chair, I see no hands raised. Uh, okay, so town board member comment on the motion to amend. Uh, town board member Stock. I'll just take a quick swing just to explain a little bit why I made the motion that I did. Um, as I looked at as town as Supervisor Cornstrom said, uh, we were markedly lower than some similarly sized townships like 25 to $40,000 lower in our salaries, which there's no way we would ever catch up to that. And frankly, some of them I think are inflated. But I do want to recognize the good work that our township supervisor and assessor do. Our township supervisor deals with some of our most vulnerable population literally 24 hours a day with a phone call at midnight for an emergency hotel room. Our township supervisor deals with taxing bodies for not just for the city of Champaign and the city of Champaign township, but unit four, public library, all, of them, all other manners. So I think these are pretty important positions and these increases quite honestly are relatively trivial but and probably more symbolic than anything else but you know i appreciate the work they do and i think we all do so this is a small way to 
uh, demonstrate that we value their work. Anyone else? Councilmember Foreman. Um, I would like to echo some uh, uh, town person stocks comments, um, mostly just because I doubt that the township supervisor nor his staff would admit how many times they have picked up the phone on the weekend or after midnight in the middle of the night to help a family. That happens more often probably than most of you know. Um, and something I think that comes up a lot in this conversation when we talk about dealing with the most vulnerable people, low income people, um, that we don't, people aren't paid to do those jobs. And we talk about this often. And so I just wanted to put out there that, I, I mean, that staff is very humble in what they do, but they definitely take a lot of phone calls from a lot of people at 24 hour service. Um, and I think it's just, and that's just the honest truth, you know, and I think that they, um, I don't think that this is um, a huge increase. But I think we just really should, you know, definitely appreciate and honor the work that they do because they really do help our most vulnerable population. Town Board Member Bricks and then Beck. I also want to thank um, Andy and Paul Faraci for the work that you do. I am especially appreciative of um, the work that you've done with CU at Work and starting and initiating that program and expanding it into Prosperity Gardens. And I just think you do an amazing amount of work and um, do a lot for some underserved populations. So thank you for that. And I think um, Township Assessor Farachi does a great job, is always responsive, is always good with keeping up to date on the information. And so um, appreciate his efforts as well. Thanks. Let's move back. So I'm probably gonna be the dissenting voice on this and for the reason, um, a couple of reasons. Uh, Council member, or rather, I'm sorry, town uh, member, uh, <laughs> town board member Stock made some great, you know, points about um, our salary levels for our elected officials versus other townships. However, I want to go back to that initial word that I said, which is elected. And I think that as an elected official, uh, our supervisor has recognized that we're in tight times. We're in times that we have to take care of the public. And he has put a uh, 0% raise for himself with that knowledge. And I know how much heart and soul he puts into this position. And I think that by putting a zero there, he's honoring the fact that he's earned the people's trust to do this position. And I think that we should honor his request to do a 0% raise as a result. Um, I think it's the thing that we should do as a town board. And I think that um, it was the right thing for uh, the supervisor to do for this year's, uh, this upcoming budget. So those are my comments. Anyone else? So my comments are similar to those of town board member Beck. I mean, the odd thing about the way the statute sets up this process is recognizing that it isn't about the incumbent or the work that they've done. We set the, we set the salaries when we do by statute because it's prior to the next election. Um, and although I think the incumbents are doing a tremendous job and you know, without getting too political, I fully support them. Um, it's about the position, not about the particular people in that position. What is the job worth? Um, I agree that um, we are woefully behind um, compared to our peers. That's something that didn't happen 
you know, just this year, but has happened over time. And I suspect has happened because we've had um, supervisors who and assessors who over the years have recognized exactly what Councilmember Beck has said, which is, you know, there is a, a public component to this where, um, you know, dollars out of the township mean dollar, less dollars available to serve the public. And um, they recognize that as has our supervisor in what he has proposed. Um, I do think that we ought to include the township and our um, salary review committee. We do that for council and the mayor. We ought to take the opportunity to have outside people look at those positions and help us um, kind of depoliticize it and get those positions where they need to be. I think in a year of a pandemic where our primary goal is serving um, the, the people with the lowest incomes in our community, it's probably not the best time um, to be doing that. And so for that reason, I am a no, has no reflection on the tremendous amount of work that and the great job that both office holders do. I think um, we are lucky to have them, but I am not supportive of the increase at this time. So with that, um, oh, Councilmember Foreman. I got a question. Um, uh, Township Supervisor Kornstrom, are there any staff in the offices that were their salaries included in this raise? No, this is only for elected officials. We, we um, over the last four years, um, actually recognized the, um, I guess the, the, uh, the difference in pay for our staff as opposed to comparable um, mm -hmm. municipalities. And so we work to increase their pay um, to bring it closer to comparable um, organizations. And we've done that over the last few years. So this just speaks specifically to um, the assessor and the supervisor. And Madam Chair, can I, would I be able to um, interject just something briefly? As of humbled course. as I, as I am, um, and I think I can speak to the assessor or for the assessor as well. Um, and and council, town board member stock makes some really good points, but I um, I can't in good conscience um, speak uh, not speak to this. We 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 provide um, as I noted um, rental assistance to individuals right now who. Um, can't even keep their head above water. And I know that in the big picture, the $1,000 or $2,000 that we're looking at here is really pretty small, but the symbolism for me, and I think for my staff is pretty significant that that is the difference between somebody moving um, uh, into a new home or not. And I think that I, I believe that it's important that we address this in the future once we get past this pandemic, because I do think it's important that we compensate um, anybody who is sacrificing time and energy to do the right thing and get the job done. And I think that that happens in Champaign, the township and the city. But at this point today, as we speak and as we're dealing with this pandemic, I just think it's too significant um, to consider that right now. And I think that it's really important that we serve the underserved now more than ever. Um, so again, I'm humbled and, and please don't take that as a slight, um, 
founding board member staff um, and foreman, but I think it's just absolutely um, imperative that we take care of those in need. And so respectfully, I would ask that you um, vote against council member stocks um, amendment. Okay. Anyone else? All right. Will the clerk please call the roll? Board member Gladney? No. Kyle? No. Pianfetti? No. Stock? Apparently not. Beck? No. Brick? No. Bruno? No. Foreman? No. Chairperson Finance. No, the motion to amend fails. We still have the original motion on the floor. Does anyone have any technical questions about that? Anyone in the audience wish to address that? Madam Mayor, I see no hands raised. Any yes, council comment or town board member comments? Okay, will the clerk please call the roll? Board member Gladney? Yes. Kyle? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Britt? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Foreman? Yes. Chairperson Finan? Yes, motion passes, I think eight to zero. I don't see council member Foreman. Nine to zero. <laughs> Nine to zero. She's not, yeah. she's not on my- I'm here, I don't have my video on. Ah, I'm here. Okay, I apologize, I couldn't see you. Um, okay, is there any audience participation on town board issues? Madam Mayor, there are no hands raised. Town board member comments. Seeing none, supervisor. I have none, Your Honor. Uh, the next meeting is December 1st, 2020. I need a motion to adjourn. So moved. Second. Uh, clerk, please call the roll. Board member Gladney. Yes. Kyle. Yes. Yes. P and Fetty? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Brick? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Foreman? Yes. Chairperson Finan? Yes. We are adjourned into the Champaign City Council meeting for November 10th, 2020. Um, I invite you to join me for a moment of silence followed by the pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Will the clerk please call the roll? Councilmember Gladney? Present. Kyle? Present. P and Fetty? Here. Stock? Here. Beck? Here. 
Bricks? Here. Bruno? Here. Foreman? Present. Mayor Finan? Here. And um, we have three sets of minutes. Getting them out. Uh, Madam Mayor, I move we approve the minutes from August 11th, 2020, August 18th, 2020, and September 1st, 2020. Second. Are there any, is there any discussion of the minutes or questions? Seeing none, will the clerk please call the roll? Councilmember Gladney? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bricks? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Foreman? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes, minutes are approved nine to zero. Do we have any correspondence? We have none, Your Honor. We do not have any public hearings, so will you please call the first bill? Council Bill number 2020-126, an ordinance approving emergency orders and extending Council Bill 2020-22 relating to, relating to the COVID-19 emergency. So moved. Second. Sorry, I don't have that open in front of me. I've got too many attachments. I apologize. Let me get it. This council bill will approve the continuation of Council Bill 2020-2022, an ordinance related to the emergency created by the impact of the COVID-19 virus, as modified by the new extension ordinance until the regular special city council meeting on December 1st, 2020, unless it is amended or repealed by the Champaign City Council before that date. The council bill will also approve the continuance of the 16 emergency orders of which three have been issued by the city manager. Um, I would also note that there was an additional emergency order that was issued today. Council is aware that it was coming relating to um, tent and use of public space um, during this uh, mitigation enhanced mitigation phase that we are in to allow our restaurants and bars to um, do some expansion into the public right of way. And that's not on this group, but just to update you. Are there any technical questions? Is there anyone in the audience who wishes to address this issue? Madam Mayor, um, there are two people with their hands raised. I'll turn the microphone on for Axelrod. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Uh, so forgive me if this is not. I'm sorry. Please state your name and city Correct. of residence. Uh, name Alan Max Axelrod, city of Urbana. Uh, so forgive me. I've been juggling around uh, city council meetings today. I was in Springfield earlier for their city council meeting. Uh, they have had over uh, twice the per capita number of utility shutoffs as the Mr. Axelrod, you're welcome yeah. to speak to utility shutoffs. If you'd like, it may be better placed at toward the end of our meeting during general. This is with the topic right now are the emergency orders. Right. I was I was going to ask uh, the inclusion of 
26 from uh, municipal order or municipal ordinance 12-39 um, to be amended into uh, this uh, emergency order. I, I apologize, please continue. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. There was a preamble. I probably should have started off with that. Um, that's totally all right. Um, I, I wanted to basically mention that um, including the uh, emergency order um, does not necessarily require you to act on it, but it would enable immediate action should it become uh, necessary. Um, one of the things that I want to, uh, two of the things that I want to point out first off is we know that all the utility shutoffs that happened in Champaign-Urbana as reported uh, by WCIA happened in the last week of September alone. And from the data that we've seen since the CUPHD has started to provide data to the community, um, that rate has more or less remained constant oscillating between Champaign and Urbana. Um, the second thing that I wanted to note is that um, the quarter three financial earnings uh, report uh, or call for Ameren, Illinois came out. And there's a section that I wanna read because there's some concern as to how this would affect utility corporations. And it reads as such, um, Yesterday, we announced third quarter 2020 earnings of $1.47 per share compared to $1.47 per share in 2019. A summary of key drivers is provided in this page, yada, yada. But the main thing about that particular line is that this is quarter three. This is the months of July, August, and September. With the exception of one week in September, this entire quarter was with no utility shutoffs. So we've had two consecutive uh, quarters of no utility shutoffs from Ameren effectively. The first quarter, they had an increase of 36% in their profits and the next one, it held steady. So I would like to urge specifically that um, the um, Champaign Municipal Code 12-39.26 uh, be included in the emergency uh, order being discussed uh, so that we can uh, act on this as uh, soon as reasonable to protect our community based off of criteria uh, determined between the different governments in the area. Thank you. Thank you. Madam Mayor, I'm gonna turn on Bo Barber. Hi, can you, can you hear me? <clears throat> okay, yeah. so. Um, I also appreciate the little timer thing that I can see now there. Um, uh, so I have a similar, uh, sorry, my name is Bo Barber. I'm from the village of Ogden, Illinois. Um, I have similar comments uh, and suggestions as Alan Axelrod has on including um, uh, chapter 12, section 39, part 26 in that emergency ordinance in order for you, in order for you to for, to give the mayor powers to for the continuations of utilities and services. And this is, um, I've, I had the pleasure of talking to Andy uh, on your, who's your township supervisor. I had the pleasure of talking with him and others on the uh, Champaign-Urbana Public Health District, um, what, like two Fridays ago, when um, myself, Alan and others as part of the No Ammer and Shutoffs group, presented basically the, you know, all the shutoffs that we um, had learned about from that report from Ameren. Um, and um, of places that were, I may have told you this the week that it happened too, but I can't remember. I've spent all of last week trying to search down about 200 people in this county um, who were sent disconnection notices between 
November 1st and uh, November 4th. Uh, uh, and I know that in the disconnect, the people who did have, who did experience shutoffs in that last week of September, Ameren admitted it to the WCIA. Um, there was over 100 shutoffs in, in, in residential customers who lived in Champaign zip codes. So a majority of those are within the city of Champaign. And then additionally, um, tracking at least within just the city of Champaign, there was over 20 more notices that I was able to notice or disconnection notices sent out through a report by Champaign Urbana Public Health District um, that were that were sent out to people in Champaign. And um, some of those locations I've sent, I've worked with volunteers. I'm sorry, I lost him. Has everybody else lost him as well? Lost him. Okay, we'll have to come back if he is able to reconnect. Do we have any additional comments? Yes, Madam Mayor, I'll turn Can the mic. Hear me? We can't. You're going to have to hang up, I think, and call back in. We're happy to give you time again. I'm going to turn the microphone on for Brian Dunn. Yeah, we'd just like to uh, shout out No Ameren shutoffs and the work that they have done, uh, especially all the legwork that they have done the last couple of weeks in protecting people from uh, basically having homes that are not usable. I can't think of uh, something of much more importance than maintaining utilities during a pandemic, especially when you know the virus is spread from person to person. If you have to go over to somebody else's house to uh, you know, use a stove or something like that, that puts a lot of people at risk. So I'm glad that they are constantly chiming in and keeping this top of mind. And I think it's very important work that they are doing. Thank you. I'm going to turn the microphone on for Bo Barber again. Hi, can you can you hear me? <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, I guess you could probably move it to like the three minutes if you need. I apologize. Rural internet's not that great. So I'll just I'll try and keep it under, I'll try and stop at the three minute mark. Um, or that, no, that works too. Thank you. Um so like like I, I don't know where I kind of left off, but there was you know 20 more disconnection notices that were sent out, right? And then there was a hundred disconnections that happened in the city of Champaign um, in that last week of September. So like, so the rate that's going on, it's, you know, they're, they kind of adjust it maybe by like bi-weekly or whatever, but there's at least 20 to 30 people that are going to be disconnected like every other week. Um, and when they have to pay that back, when they have to try and get reconnected, they have to pay that amount and late fees on top of that in order to do it. We've had activists and organizers on the ground going door to door, trying to you know, send mailers out. I've worked with Daniel Chenoweth in Cunningham Township because Cunningham Township had like over a hundred disconnection notices sent out just last week. Um, and it's it's been really disheartening to see some of the situations. There's a mother of four who has had her power disconnected twice um, and, um, and 
she's she's uh, she's she said it's been tough for her because she's also trying to pay for rent. She has four children to take care of, and there's another person who there's I don't know. I'm not going to give each individual story, but these people are struggling. These are people around the Douglas Park area. They are struggling to get by, and during a pandemic, when what happens if you lose your utilities, you, you double up. You go to somewhere else safe, or you have to give your children to somebody else. That, that woman's at risk of losing her kids. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know how to express just more concern about that, but I'm, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. My work, working with CUPHD has been incredibly helpful and it's exhausting, but we're not enough. We're not going to do enough. We're not going to be able to do enough. The governor has refused to act. He came here and he lied saying you couldn't do anything. He stalled for four months, but with the emergency ordinance that allow that allows you to make sure that utilities remain continued and connected, you can take the lead that literally no one else in this state has taken, save for Urbana also considering it. So you and the Urbana mayor can talk with the CUPHD board and you can be basically the leaders here of making sure that people have their utilities on as we head into winter and also as we have the pandemic, during a pandemic. Um, Additionally, I just want to bring up those winter moratoriums that come up are also means tested, which like LIHEAP is means tested. It's great to have, but the problem is it's not enough. It, people still get disconnected. They have several issues with trying to get through and make sure that they can get to that. And it's just, we need, we need some kind of moratorium now because people are suffering. Thank you for your time. Sorry about the connection issues. Thank you. Thanks for joining back in. Madam Mayor, I'm going to turn on the microphone for Mike. And that's the last person with their hand raised. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, state your name and city of residence. Hi, my name is Mike. I'm in Champaign. Um, as some of you know, Governor Pritzker has the ability to not only create a legislation to impose a mandatory eviction moratorium, which he's done, but also a utility shutoff moratorium, which he's not done, but he said he has or said he would, would, would do eventually, but he hasn't. Not having heat or clean water during a pandemic to wash hands and keep warm during cold nights has major adverse effects on public health. As it happens, the No Ammer and Shut Up group that I'm part of has received reports from the Champaign-Urbana Public Health Department that some residents have already or will be experiencing shutoffs throughout the November. Uh, I personally knocked on doors of about 10 different families across North Champaign informing citizens that they can apply to LIHEAP to postpone fees. Uh, one mother I spoke to, I think Bo mentioned uh, in his previous comment, had her hands full with a set of four children. Another young woman had had his, uh, or no, another young man had his elderly grandmother to take care of. Another gentleman said he had just gotten out of rehab and is really trying to get caught up. All three said they're having a hard time paying late fees as well. These are real people who are trying to, as hard as they can, to get to stay afloat during the pandemic. And I think the city really needs to come together in support of these these citizens. Uh, most of the families I went to were in District 1, but but uh, I know that just, uh, Clarissa Foreman has done a pretty good job of addressing concerns from her constituents, so I'm not pointing any fingers at, at her specifically, but I think it's appalling that the city pays out hundreds of thousands of dollars to settle police misconduct cases uh, this summer and in a few years, while there it doesn't exist any kind of resolution with regard to utility shutoffs across the entire state. Uh, the city of Champaign needs to collaborate with the Champaign-Urbana Public Health Department to institute an emergency order with Champaign-Urbana Public Health. Um, we, we can't wait around for anyone, for someone to help with this. 
we need you guys to be leaders uh, on, across the state on this to do something to, to stop this from getting worse. Um, I appreciate your time. I'm, I'm going to yield. Thank you. Nobody else with their hands raised, Madam Mayor. Yeah, I guess I, I kind of mumbled. Okay. Um, do we have any council comment? Will the clerk please call the roll? Councilmember Gladney? Yes. Kyle? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Doc? Yes. Beck? Yes. Brick? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Foreman? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council bill passes nine to zero. Please call the next bill. Council bill number 2020-127, an ordinance amending the annual budget for various funds. So moved. Second. The purpose of this council bill is to amend the fiscal year 2020 to 2021 annual budget for several funds. The bill includes capital project rebudgets, grant funding, and adjustments relating to previous council direction. The total amounts recommended are an $11,962,565 increase in expenditures and a $1,373,678 increase in revenues. Are there any technical questions? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Madam Mayor, there are no hands raised. Any council comment? Clerk, please call the roll. Council Member Gladney? Yes. Kyle? Yes. Ian Fetty? Yes. Doc? Yes. Beck? Yes. Brick? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Foreman? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Um, will the um, council bill passes nine to zero? Will the clerk please call the next council bill? Council bill number 2020-128, a resolution determining the amounts of money estimated to be necessary to be raised by the tax levy. So moved. Second. All right, and my system has broken down. So if somebody else would like to read the intro, that would be great because I do not have that one in front of me. Anybody? No? Okay, give me a second and I will grab it. Madam Mayor, I can do it. Okay, that would be great. The purpose of this council bill, 2020-128, is to establish the estimated property tax levy for 2020 collected in 2021. The council bill would adopt an optimistic estimated levy in the amount of $27,115,500 based upon estimated property values of $2,061,700,000. In accordance with past practice, the ordinance for the final adopted levy will authorize staff to reduce the extended tax levy as necessary 
to produce the target tax rate of 1.3152 as directed by the council. This would result in the same extended rate as 2019. Adoption of the final tax levy and tax abatement ordinance is scheduled for December 15th, 2020. They did that on purpose, so you'd have to read the hard one. Yeah. Are there any technical questions? Uh, did we move that? I see none. Is there anyone in the audience who wishes to address this issue? Madam Mayor, there are no audience members with their hands raised. Any council comment? Did we actually move and second that? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah we did. We did? Okay. <laughs> okay. Before he read it, I think. Um, any council comments? All right, clerk, please call the roll. Councilmember Gladney? Yes. Kyle? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bricks? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Foreman? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council bill passes nine to zero. Please call the next bill. Council bill number 2020-129, a resolution rejecting all proposals for employee benefits brokerage services and authorizing the city manager to solicit new proposals. So moved. Second. The purpose of this council bill is to reject all proposals for employee benefits brokerage and consulting services received in response to the city's June 22nd, 2020 request for proposals. Are there any technical questions? Councilmember Bricks. I just wanna make sure I understand this. So it looks like the new RFPs will go out in the spring of 2021 but our current um, coverage, it looks like it ends in on March 1st, 2021. So who covers that lapse or are we covered or how does that work? I think the intent is to, if, well, right now we have a contract with USI that goes through uh, March 1st. So they're working on the renewal now. Um, and then we would probably have a short-term contract with them until such time as we have the request for proposal, uh, responses back, and then reevaluate where we would uh, either have a new contract with them or a different broker if that's what we chose. Okay. Thank you. Anyone else with technical questions? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Madam Mayor, there are no audience members with their hands raised. Any council comment? Not seeing any. Will the clerk please call the roll? Council Member Gladney? Yes. Kyle? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bricks? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Foreman? Yes. Mayor Finan. Yes. Councilwoman passes nine to zero. Please call the next bill. Council bill number 2020-130, a resolution authorizing the city manager to execute an easement on city owned property at 201 West Hill Street 
to allow construction on 203 West Hill Street. So moved. Second. The purpose of this council bill is to approve a no build easement on city owned property located at 201 West Hill Street. The purpose of the new no build easement will allow the structures at 203 West Hill Street to be redeveloped for residential and commercial land uses. The exterior, existing exterior walls are too close to the property lines to add windows and comply with the building code regulations. The dedication of a no build easement on the adjacent 201 West Hill Street property would allow for the addition of windows and compliance with the building code regulations. Are there any technical questions? Councilmember Bricks. I think this will be a question for Bruce. Can you explain this? I mean, I guess, is it just that you don't have room to work? Because the windows are within the walls of the building, so I don't understand what this is about. So the building code has to assume that somebody could build a building right on the property line on the adjacent lot as well, which would mean that the windows that they put in would be ineffective and uh, would not have adequate light in there. So uh, the only way that, that those windows can be allowed, so otherwise there needs to be a firewall maintained there. The only way windows can be allowed there is if there's a snow build easement. So they're guaranteed to have enough separation between buildings, assuming that one would be built on our parking lot at some point in the future, uh, that it wouldn't create a problem for those windows. Okay. And then that particular easement will be used solely for them then? Will they only be the ones allowed to use that park, those parking spaces along that building or? No, the parking space. to do with it? doesn't change the parking spaces functionally at all. They'll continue to be public parking spaces and leased out as we do right now. It just guarantees that we wouldn't sell the lot to be built on uh, and somebody build a building right up adjacent to the property line. Okay, thank you. Councilmember Bricks. I think back. you back. Back, <laughs> I was looking at Angie and calling on you. There's too many bees. Okay, so I want, just wanted to follow up on that because I, on the one picture, and I think I just answered my question because I was looking at the one picture and it didn't look to me like the easement went the full length of the building, but it does. So it's both parts of that building. So there's two different sections of that building, right? The That's correct, yes. And it does run the full part, length. And it runs the full length all the way. Okay, I answered my own question with the very nice photo that you gave us, thank you. <laughs> Anyone else? Anyone in the audience wish to address council on this issue? Madam Mayor, there are no audience members with their hands raised. Uh, any council comment? I see none. Will the clerk please call the roll? Councilmember Gladney? Yes. Kyle? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bricks? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Foreman? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes, council bill passes nine to zero. Before we call the next bill, um, I'm gonna call on the city attorney. Do you wanna explain to us the process relating to this zoning case? Are you talking about the vote in particular? Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, sure. The uh, vote, I suppose I should put my uh, video on. There. So uh, the vote uh, is recommended uh, as a no vote. And a no vote uh, essentially upholds the decision of the uh, ZBA with respect to the variance. In other words, uh, this is put on to object to the variance. Uh, so it would take five votes to object to the variance. Uh, uh, in this case, there's a slight parliamentary advantage to upholding the, the um, uh, decision of the Zoning Board of Appeals, which is, which is what this uh, no vote uh, in essence means. So a no vote upholds the decision of the ZBA. Thank you. We've recommended uh, that the variances be granted. Okay, thank you. Will the clerk please call this bill? Council Bill number 2020-131, a resolution objecting to a grant of two major variations. So moved. Second. This council bill would defeat a grant of two major variations for 301 South Wright Street that ZBA approved at its October 15th, 2020 meeting. The variations reduce the Wright Street front setback from 15 feet to zero feet. A second variation would reduce the White Street side setback from 10 feet to two feet. The city council should vote no if it believes the variations granted by the Zoning Board of Appeals should be upheld. Are there any technical questions? Councilmember Stock. Yeah, I had a question about that. There's not a good site map in our packet this time as there often is. So I was a little confused as to where exactly we're looking at with the setbacks. Um, where does the setback begin? I guess so where I'm going with that is, does that impact the sidewalk that's on Wright Street at all? Or the building would be built up to that sidewalk? I'm just a little confused about what the line is. So generally the property lines for uh, lots in the city are approximately one foot behind the sidewalk. So the setback is me measured from that one foot behind the sidewalk back onto the property. So in this case, on the right street side, the building would be built to within one foot of the sidewalk, uh, but it would not uh, in any way impact the sidewalk. Does it impact the sight lines at the corner? If it's that um, close to the sidewalk? So the, the um, you know, I think the, the way they've structured the property on in the corner on each side, uh, the answer is no, that it, there'd be adequate sight distance. Okay. Other technical questions? Councilmember Beck. How do, can you tell us how parking works in this particular scenario and what kinds of parking is required for this project or not? There is no parking required uh, anywhere for residential uses anywhere in that district. Uh, and so they would have to, if they, if it's a resident that brings a car and many don't, uh, they would have to either lease from the city on street or in one of our parking lots or lease from the university in the long-term storage lot. And this particular, am I reading the, the elevations correct that this particular 
property does not include parking. That's correct. And it's not part of an alleyway either. Correct. All right, thank you. Anyone else? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Madam Mayor, there are no hands raised. Okay, are there, is there anyone wishing to make a council comment? Councilmember Stott. Okay, Bruce, sorry, I, it's almost more technical question than that. I don't know what the address is because again, our packet doesn't really have a site map, which would be kind of helpful. Um, there's a building though on the location map of the current location. I don't know if you have that in front of you or not. There's a building towards the bottom. Is that what a one, what a no setback would look like? Yeah, the, the property that's on the, uh, the north uh, west corner of right and white was granted a, a very similar variation uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, the, the address of the property, by the way, is 301 South Right. Okay, the one I'm looking at, I think is to the south. It's kind of a big complex. I don't know, sorry to throw, I just, I just can't visualize it without seeing how it fits on the lot. And when I read the packet and read the comments that that was an issue that some of the um, ZBA had with it. I can see why if they didn't have the information because I just can't, I, I don't have a visual for it. If, you know, actually, actually, Councilman Stock, if you go to the attachment to the council bill, um, right after the minutes of the, the ZBA meetings, there's a site plan uh, and I wish it had a page number, but um, it's attachment B to the council bill. It's the first first pictorial representation after the notes from the meeting. Correct. That is a site plan. And you can see how at the corner, there's a greater setback so that there's not a site distance issue. But in... Okay. Uh, but it pushes back further uh, in other locations. Got it. Sorry, that's my fault. I followed my tabs in the binder and didn't go backwards from the tab. So I well, we often put site plans attached to the council report instead of the council bill. But in this case, it was part of the findings. So that's why it's there. Yeah, I look for it there because that's where it is. And I just totally missed the earlier part. Thank you. Is that it, Councilmember Stocker? Did you have additional? Anyone else have technical? Anyone in the audience? Oh, we already did that. Did you just ask the technical comment? Anybody else have council comments? All right, will the clerk please call the roll and remember no approves it and yes disapproves it. Councilmember Gladney? No. Kyle? No. Ian Fetty? No. Stock? No. Beck? No. Briggs? No. Bruno? No. Foreman? No. Mayor Finan? No. So the council bill fails nine to zero, which approves the request. Will the clerk please call the next bill?
I'm sorry, Council Bill number 2020-132, a resolution granting a waiver to Council Bill 2018-152, the city policy for snow and ice control. So moved. Oh, go ahead, sorry. Second. The purpose of this council bill is to grant a waiver to the city policy for snow and ice control for times allotted for snow and ice removal from city streets and the city owned parking lots and sidewalks. Are there any technical questions? I actually did have a technical question. I'm not sure who's answering. Hi, Chris. Um, so my question is, does this change anything with respect to our sidewalk snow removal for the downtown and campus town districts? And have we considered that they may need additional time as well? Um, that's a good question. We didn't address it specifically in this uh, council bill uh, or the waiver. Typically we don't enact uh, the sidewalk snow ordinance removal, even if there's been two inches of snow until public works has completed what we need to do, because one thing we don't want to do uh, is to uh, have, you know, require a business owner to uh, clear their sidewalk and then us come through downtown, campus town, and potentially put snow back on, you know, inadvertently because of a plow. Uh, so yes, oftentimes we hit the two inch mark, which we know will, uh, which will, you know, activate that but we always wait until public works is, is pretty close to being as done as we need to be uh, in the areas that affect that. So in essence, they will get additional time um, if we take additional time uh, as needed. And so, you know, the goal is still for us to meet the hours outlined, uh, but asking for a waiver, if we happen to go over that time that's outlined in the council policy, we would also by default give people additional time to, to do that. Great, thank you. Are there any uh, public comments relating to this matter? Yes, Madam Mayor, Brian Dunn has his hand up. I'll call on him. So please state your name and city of residence. Hey, my name is Brian Dunn from Champaign. Sorry, I'm talking so much this meeting, but I just have a little anecdote related to this. Um, in the before times, I was a volunteer at WEFT. And what I would do is I would assist a volunteer there with his radio show. He needed assistance because he had a stroke and he only had mobile, mobility in one arm. And so he just needed help setting up everything. Um, it was nice that he lived really close. He would come from the Inman place but his wheelchair definitely would have a lot of problems at intersections um, because even if the sidewalk was clear, a lot of times there would be just a couple inches of snow uh, where the meet, where the street met the sidewalk. And he's got some pretty harrowing experiences of getting pitched out of his chair. Um, it happening one time at night and him, you know, being uh, just out in the snow in the cold for, uh, you know, he thought he was going to die. And luckily, some people came out of Jupiter's and found him and got him okay. Um, so yeah, this is a really important thing, especially for accessibility. And uh, that's just a little anecdote I wanted to share. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to make comment on this item? There are no other hands raised. Any council comment? 
Seeing none, will the clerk please call the roll? Councilmember Gladney? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Fianfetti? Yes. Doc? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bricks? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Foreman? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council vote passes nine to zero. Please call the next bill. Council bill number 2020-133, a resolution authorizing the city manager to enter into an agreement for the purchase of electricity. So moved. Second. This council bill authorizes the city manager to execute an agreement to purchase electricity for city facilities from a retail electrical supplier. The selection of the electrical supplier would follow the purchasing parameters approved by the council in this council bill. Are there any technical questions? Seeing none, is there anyone in the audience who wishes to address this issue? Madam Mayor, there are no hands raised. Are there any council comments? Will the clerk please call the roll? Council member Gladney? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Fianfetti? Yes. Doc? Council member Stock? Yes. I froze. Am I still frozen? No, I heard you. Thank you. Yeah. Beck? Yes. Bricks? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Foreman? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council bill passes nine to zero. Please call the last council bill. Council bill number 2020-134, a resolution approving a license agreement with Ameren Illinois Company for the use of the city right-of-way for electric utility purposes. So moved. Second. The purpose of this council bill is to approve an agreement with Ameren Illinois Company granting an electric utility license to utilize the city right-of-way for a period of 10 years. Are there any technical questions? Council member Pianfetti. I was uh, wondering, um, given some of the comments that were made this evening and some of the issues that have been occurring with utility shutoffs and what we've been trying to do um, at the city, if maybe we could have some discussion about whether or not we might consider tabling this council bill. And I was just wondering what other people might be thinking um, when I was Looking at this, I know there's not a direct relationship to these ideas, but um, I am really concerned about the fact that um, there have been these utility shutoffs going on and I'm not feeling really comfortable about this particular bill right now. And I was wondering if maybe we could get an update from city staff um, as to what has been going on with the shutoffs or if there's some um, understanding of maybe something that could be done to better help the households right now. Council member Beck. Um, I'd be willing to make a motion um, to that effect. If um, so before you do that, and I, I would be happy to hear a motion. I just want to remind everyone that 
a motion to table would mean that there can be no, for it's not debatable. So if we wanna have some discussion, I would encourage us to have some discussion and then I, um, I can follow by calling on you for a motion to table. So um, we're in the, um, I think we've jumped the gun a bit. We were on technical questions. So um, I guess my technical yeah. I guess my technical question is to is there any update? And then, similar to Councilwoman Beck, I'm I'm happy to make a motion too. I'd like an update first to know what's going on, because um, I know that Mayor Finan, you've written some letters, um, and I know I I just don't know what has been the response from Amron. Um, so my technical question is just for an update. That might best be Carrie Wyman. I don't know. Dave, do you know anything about the shutoff issues? Uh, Mayor, Councilmember Panfetti, I was uh, going to respond that uh, from the public works perspective, we're not aware of any, any shutoff issues that, that pertain to this particular agreement. Hi, Councilmember Rapine Fetty. This is Carrie Wyman. And yes, we were also made aware last week uh, by some of the people that were on this call, the call that commented earlier. Um, we were able to send out information to the first batch, sharing um, information about the LIHEAP. There's a total of four assistance programs uh, that could be um, that customers can apply for. Um, that's been our involvement to this point. Uh, I will say that. Um, I did hear on the call earlier, they said there was a hundred in Champaign. Um, the list that I saw last week actually was much smaller. So I think the hundred was maybe in September they shared. The list that was for Champaign, uh, the latest round uh, was maybe about 20. Uh, and some of those were not residential, um, but the majority of those were residential. Okay, so are there any other technical questions? All right, let's go to the audience. Is there anyone who wishes to address this issue? Please state your name and full name and city of residence. I'll turn the microphone on for Alan Axelrod. Thank you, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, so again, uh, Alan Max Axelrod, city of Urbana. Um, Thank you, Dean Fetty, and uh, also to uh, Councilman, uh, Councilwoman Beck for um, expressing concern in relation to the comments earlier. Uh, I, I wanted to note uh, one additional item in the events that that motion uh, is defeated that could be considered uh, for this ordinance uh, or for this resolution, which is to shorten the duration uh, such that there is a timely review of the city's business relationship with Ameren, Illinois at the conclusion of the pandemic recovery. Um, I think that is a potential uh, reasonable thing in the event that the motion does not pass, uh, both because the city needs finances and also I think the city deserves to have a, um, a review of that working relationship in light of Ameren, Illinois' uh, conduct. However, I am very much in favor for um, the uh, basic uh, uh, concerns that were reciprocated by uh, Councilwoman Pianfetti and Councilwoman Beck, and I would strongly urge for that uh, as well. I just thought I'd also make that other 
option also um, available to you all. Thank you. Are there any other commenters, Councilmember Bruno? Um, yes, Madam Mayor, I'll call on Bo Barber. Okay, hi, this is Bo Barber from Village of Ogden. Uh, God, please let my internet Wi-Fi stay good so I don't drop off the call again. Um, um, uh, yes, I just want, uh, I wanted to say uh, thank you, uh, Council Member Pianfetti for bringing up that concern. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, um, to address uh, Carrie's point, yes, she is correct. Um, about the 100, num the 100 number I was referring to was for that last week of September. Um, as well as about the 20 residential addresses that were sent um, uh, mail by um, by the city of Champaign um, were the no disconnection notices that were sent out last week. And I know because I'm a part of that email correspondence um, there with her that was facilitated by uh, Daniel Chenoweth. Um, and I appreciate the mailers being sent out. Um, I would rec, you know, I can say more in council comment later, but I mean, sorry, general comment later, but I just wanted to clarify that one bit of data. So, yeah, thank you. Thank Very you, good. are there any other? No other hands raised. Okay, council comment, council member Beck. Uh, so I, I, I had the opportunity to talk about this with council member Pianfetti earlier today. So, um, I think that this is something that would be important to do for the council, for us to take a, a, a moment and table this so that we can get a little more information and also so we can encourage Amarin to do something about uh, shutoffs that are imminent for many people. But as we continue through this epidemic, this pandemic that we're experiencing, it's going to continue to be a, a, a public health issue. Um, and it's not going to get easier for people for a while because of the economic impacts that we're feeling due to the pandemic. And I think that um, there can be some additional steps that Ameren can help our community with as we continue to struggle through this together. Um, for those that are the most vulnerable in our community that are living on the very edge um, of, of the economy, uh, we need to be able to support them in all the ways that we can. And um, in making a contract with Amarin, we're, uh, we're saying that we're going to be doing business with you in good faith. And what we're hoping that you'll do is have uh, the effort then for our community that shows that you care about the people that live here, that you provide power to, and that you can come to us when we're in need. Um, and when the people in our community are hurting, that we need you to help us provide the basic services for our community. And um, we're not talking about uh, uh, cuts into the budget of Ameren that will uh, make this utility default. In my opinion, these are very modest uh, contributions that Ameren could make to our community that will make very big, a very big impact in the lives of people who live here. Um, and we need, we need your help, Amarin. And please uh, take a moment and think about the ways that you can partner with us to do that. Any other council, council member Pianfetti? 
Yeah, I um, echo a lot of those sentiments as um, Councilwoman Beck, and I wanted to add that, you know, for me, it's this understanding that while I know, you know, at some point, this council bill that we're looking at um, is critical in and of itself, but the overall idea for me is that this idea of good faith and trying to understand why these shutoffs are occurring at a time when there's a pandemic and at a time when households are really struggling and maybe not having the communication that is needed or an understanding of are there ways that we could be doing better and ways that we could be doing more for our community in a way that um, could strengthen them as opposed to keep um, bringing uh, different households down. Um, in listening these past few weeks and getting an understanding of the landscape of this um, has been very troubling. And then seeing this council bill that is sort of saying we're going to, you know, while we need to maybe have this arrangement, but not knowing what the other side to it is, um, was something that I just wanted maybe a little bit more time to understand um, and for our community to understand that we are still listening and, and still trying to do right by everybody. And so um, I would like to, at some point, maybe consider a motion here this evening to um, table this bill. Anyone else wish to speak? Councilmember Foreman. Um, I really appreciate uh, Councilmember Panfetti for reaching out and taking the time to call today and um, talk to me about kind of what she was seeing and what she was um, experiencing. Because obviously, I think we all know, I get the most amount of phone calls from constituents about issues like this. And so I wanted to take the time to um, say, I really appreciate the motion. I think it's a good idea, but I wanted to take the time to tell you guys a little bit of some of the constituent work that I do. When constituents call, like he, no matter how much you push that, is not the only, and it's not very resourceful. You have to stand in line. Sometimes it's hours. Sometimes you cannot get an appointment. If you have a job or two jobs or three jobs, you can't go to those things. So it's important to, 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 to encourage constituents to call Ameren. If you have a power bill after 2011, they will work with you. You can call them. They will work with you. I'm always encouraging constituents that if you have children in your house, I have had success with over 20 households contacting Unit 4, and Unit 4 was able to provide resources. I have contacted Carrie Wyman and multiple city staff multiple times, and they have directed me to great city resources. But I also found when uh, putting the resources in the, in the citizens' hands and telling them you know, where they can go without just directing them to another program that is just another phone call they have to make, that's very frustrating. So trying to get them somewhere where they can help themselves is really helpful. So calling Amron directly. If you have children in Unit 4 who are doing virtual learning, contact Unit 4. But like he, um, everybody has to understand that they are constricted, they don't have as much, and um, this is a reminder that as of December 1st, 2020, Ameren does not do shutoffs between December 1st and March 2021. So, um, you know, we have the winter coming up, but this is a constant thing we have going on in our community, not just COVID. People go through this every year after high power bills in the summertime. So it's something that, you know, as a community, we're going to have to eventually discuss how do we help those most vulnerable who tend to get their power and water shut off, by the way, because water shutoffs are happening very significantly. Um, and that is a big deal as well. But again, Councilmember uh, Pianfetti, thank you for taking the time to, to really think about that. That was important. Anyone else? I wanna, before we 
make our motion. I wanted to just add, um, you know, I have, uh, and, and I want to thank Alan Axelrod, who has really spent some time educating me on this issue, but I, um, I've sent a letter to the governor relating to this. Um, the, there is a moratorium that was imposed, I believe, by the Commerce Commission, and we recently just got information that perhaps that was extended. Um, the issue, I think, is that it's voluntary, and so um, utilities are still being shut off even during the moratorium. So it gives people a false sense of security. Um, and there is a group um, led by Danielle Chenoweth that is, I think they have over 200 signatures now on a letter that is going to be sent to the governor's office, the Illinois Commerce Commission, and also Ameren and Illinois American Water regarding utility shutoffs during um, the pandemic. And, you know, I think one of the things that would be helpful as we talk to Amron, um, you know, and, and I agree with the idea of using what little leverage we have, um, although eventually we probably do need to approve this council bill if it gives us a little bit of leverage right now, I'm in favor of that. Um, one of the things that I think would be helpful and was suggested by Danielle Chenoweth is even just asking them for additional notice. That part of the problem is that we don't get sufficient notice, so it's hard to go in and help individuals in a, in a timely manner. By the time we know or they know, their power is already being cut off. And if we could extend the notice times, I think Councilmember Foreman is correct there are some um, available resources in the community, um, not always LIHEAP, but sometimes LIHEAP and sometimes township and sometimes other resources, churches or schools or whatever it may be. But um, if you have to spend some time figuring out what resources may be available to you um, and you get a short notice of your power being shut off, it's hard to follow up once your power has been shut off. So I think there are some small steps that we can ask them to take that would make a big difference for people. I agree this is an ongoing issue, not just with COVID, but certainly with COVID, it becomes much more dangerous for folks. And it's really important for people to have the ability to you know, shelter at home and have um, power and water available to them. Um, so council member Pianfetti, did you want to follow that up? Sure, um, I can make a motion. Um, so um, I'd like to make a motion that we table this bill until um, Amron has provided information on its commitment to a moratorium uh, for shutoffs and a determination to a uh, better way to support households that may be struggling uh, to pay utility bills. I'll second. Do we wanna, um, that's sort of a generic thing. Do we wanna list it to a specific date and then we can always table it again if we're not satisfied? Sh sure, is there a uh, city manager, is there a date um, coming up that would work? Um, Councilmember Pianfetti, some of that's going to be dependent on how, how responsive, how 
um, Amarin is to our request for information. Um, so I would suggest you could table it to the December 1st meeting. That gives us um, quite a few weeks in between to contact them and get information. And in the event that we don't have an adequate response by December 1st, then you guys can take action to deferred again, but this way it keeps us on a relatively tight time frame. And um, to council member Foreman's point, I mean, we really, as we head into winter months, December 1st is a key date with regard to Ameren. So we really should be focusing on trying to get this as quickly as we can. Sure. Um, do I have to amend the motion? No, I, I think just, that's a so, friendly amendment. As okay, so table it to that. December 1st. I second that motion. Okay, so that is non-debatable. So will the clerk please call the roll? Councilmember Gladney? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bricks? Yes. No? Yes. Foreman? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes, so the item is tabled by a nine to zero vote until December 1st. We're now at the point of our meeting for general audience participation. Um, Deputy Mayor Bruno will unmute you. Please state your full name and uh, city of residence and limit your comment to five minutes or less. Thank you, Madam Mayor. There are three people with their hands raised. Uh, Brian Dunn. Again, apologies for talking so much this meeting. My name is Brian Dunn from Champaign. I would like to start by playing this clip from Julie Pride's October 26th COVID-19 update. House and, and honestly, I'm really concerned about the number of pe people that are going to be hospitalized and the number of deaths we're going to see after the holidays um, because People will gather, and no matter how many times we urge people to not gather, especially with older people or people that have um, underlying health conditions, it's still going to happen. We know it will, and then then we're going to see the results of that. And I'm afraid it will be um, heartbreaking. So no matter what, people are going to gather. This virus is spread by people gathering. To mitigate the spread of this virus through our community, we will need creative, unprecedented procedures, policies, and plans, which is why I'm so disappointed by the absence of planning I have seen from this council. Fines are not going to save lives this holiday season. Allowing community members safe social interactions will. Even past the holidays, this winter is going to be long, cold, and dark. People are going to be dying because of COVID without ever having contracted the virus. What are we doing to help them? I think it's outright disrespectful, the utter lack of urgency that has been displayed from the council. From seemingly every other week, there have been canceled meetings. Where are the study sessions to at least try and find solutions to these long predicted problems? We can pay city employees to wash chalk off the sidewalk. Why aren't those resources being put to help families in need of food or at risk of losing their utilities? How are we going to give families living in two bedroom houses the ability to safely congregate, which they will do? What buildings, gymnasiums, auditoriums can be put to use to allow people safer interactions with at least the option 
to be six feet apart once the weather turns. Not all of this has to be costly, though we all know where there is money to be found in the budget, but we have to be creative. Before anything though, we have to try. Like I said, fines won't fix this. We saw the university making the mistake of expecting individuals to isolate. They predicted, you know, three to 500 cases and now they're out 4,000. I know the city isn't doing nothing. I know aid is being given to those in need. I know y'all do most of your work outside of this Zoom, but that does not mean we can't do more. Before the comments of Pianfetti, Bricks, and Foreman tonight, I had mostly seen impassioned speeches only for addressing name calling, Facebook drama, and open container laws from the mayor and city council. And I've seen that more than I have seen y'all address the tragedies involved with this pandemic. So as a concerned community member, I think it's within you know reason to ask that we please try harder, that we please do more to protect the people. And I have the same exact sentiment towards how the policing study circles have been set up and have not been promoted. I'm looking at the city calendar right now and I see no mention of them. It's obvious to me that this is another gesture that allows you to show on paper that you did something without making any systematic changes to a system we seemingly all agree is systematically racist and inequitable. So again, please, let's all try harder. Let's all do more. I'll do that and I hope that y'all do that. Thank you. Thank Nicole and Axelrod. Uh, thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. All right, Alan Max Axelrod. Uh, I am a resident of Urbana. I wanted to provide, uh, first off, thank you for uh, uh, making this uh, substantive gesture with uh, tabling the uh, resolution. That is a signal to Ameren that they should pay attention. And I believe that we should be using whatever gestures are at our disposal to do exactly that. I wanted to provide a couple of clarifying comments uh, based off of the discussion so far. One of Ameren, Illinois' um, subsidy programs, Fresh Start, according to testimony from Danville, uh, as provided to the Urbana City Council yesterday, has ended. Uh, funds are no longer available. The winter moratorium is actually less protective than the voluntary moratorium we have now. The key phrase here is means testing, which means it is not automatic. Julie Pride was on the radio with Carol Ammons a few, week and a half ago, maybe, um, basically talking to her about why we need to have an automatic uh, moratorium where people are protected no matter what, and then government agencies can start reaching out and helping people catch up on their bills. Uh, that way, people stay housed, they stay safe. The winter moratorium protections, as provided by Illinois Legal Aid, has the following uh, features that are particularly important to note. The first thing is you have to notify the utility corporation at least six days beforehand in order to be eligible for protection from shutoffs. That is actually not language that's included in the voluntary moratorium we have. And so that actually means that so long as Ameren, Illinois is playing uh, ball, their voluntary moratorium is more protective. So relying on the, uh, on the winter moratorium, it, it doesn't actually do anything in addition. And also it doesn't protect against water shutoffs. The voluntary moratorium, by contrast, does protect against water shutoffs in this means-tested way. And it's that means-testing, in addition to the voluntary facet, that has allowed people to fall through the cracks. Um, 
the other aspect of note is that um, you know they have the same stipulations about uh, deferred payment agreements, but with much more aggressive timescales than the pandemic deferred payment agreements that Ameren Illinois and other utilities are offering. Uh, I also wanted to note that um, there's been some discussion about heat protections. Heat protections are at the municipal level. They are not a statewide protection. So there is zero protection for a family that does not jump through the hoops in winter as it currently exists, unless if it is specifically encoded in the Champaign Municipal Code. Uh, the city of Chicago, for example, has such a thing, which is why now that the temperatures have started to drop, there is less shutoffs, but it does not necessarily ensure reinstatement. And the last thing that I got to say is the, the idea behind all in, in, all in Illinois is supposed to be that we're all trying to take care of each other using all the means that we have at our disposal, which also includes staying home. And I think that in this is very much in that same spirit of um, making sure that people's utilities stay on. Yes, by asking Ameren to comply, but in the event that they don't, and in the event the governor uh, uh, does not act, since the Illinois General Assembly for fall has been canceled, it's up to you. Um, so I, I just wanted to provide those clarifications. Again, thank you so much uh, tonight and um, take it easy. McCall on hockey. Thank you. Please be sure to state your full name and city of residence. Hello, everyone. Can everyone hear me? Yes. My name is my name is Drake Mateer or Haki Shabazz, and I am a student at the University of Illinois, a uh, graduating of community health. I come and call you, uh, come to you as a concerned student once again. Uh, today, uh, members of the community witnessed uh, an arrest of civilians and citizens in the community. The citizens in question, however are individuals who are more in need of help regarding food, regarding protection, regarding security, regarding mental health evaluations, not needing help from police officers who have nothing to do but occupy black and brown communities. These people need more than just officers to come and harass and, and interrogate them. My question, did these officers show up to the scene once again? And I have said it multiple times and I am tired of having to say it multiple times. Did these officers show up with water? Did they show up with blankets? Did they show up with snacks when they are called to the scene regarding individuals who are living on the streets, regarding individuals who are in need of mental health evaluations, mental health treatment? those who are in need of food, those who are in need of water and clothing, did they come prepared to feed people or did they come prepared to arrest people? That is the question and the contradiction that if officers wish to do better and, are, and wish to be accepted into the community, that is the contradiction that they need to look at and evaluate themselves. I have said it multiple times that the best way to defund the police is have officers come out of their own pocket to give to the people. But I say again, that there is a program that you all can back. There's a program that we, that my organization, Natural Path Nutrition and other members of the community are uh, supporting and are promoting. It is a diversion program situated on combating food insecurity. 
combating domestic violence and all by and all through the depowering of police. I'm done with defunding the police. I am all about the depowering of police, removing responsibility from officers because we have seen that they have not used their power and their responsibility in a moral way, in a moral and just way. So what is the diversion program, Drake? Thank you all for asking me. The diversion program will simply be this. If officers receive a call for domestic level one calls, level two or level three, there have been talks of social workers going out with officers. That needs to be uh, up front from the jump. But we understand that there are white people, brown people, black people, whatever, that, that can be social workers that still have hatred in their hearts toward black and brown people, gay people, trans individuals, all right? So we have to ensure that we can at least remove the responsibility from officers and then replace that responsibility with, with social workers, but then include the community in the transformative justice and the rehabilitation of individuals. We need to have public housing. I do not understand how we are not advocating public housing in the time of a public health crisis. Homeless people are the number one people that are going into call hospital catching COVID-19 and you and everyone just bats a nine and doesn't say a thing because you all believe that you're a higher, you are elitist. It is now time to fight for everybody. And I mean everybody, but you all don't wanna fight for everybody under capitalism because we know that capitalism is all about the rights of property and you are give, and you are trying to neglect and further disfranchise those who do not have property. So how about we give them property? How about we give them food? How about we give them a peace of mind? How about we give them transformative justice and rehabilitation. We have a program for it. We have nutrition education and cooking and food preparation so that they can have, so they can be independent, so they can sustain themselves. We have the type of program that can deconstruct mass, uh, hyper-masculinity so that we can put the perpetrators of domestic violence uh, under wraps and in their right mind. We have the programs that are ready. We need the facilities too. So I ask that Champagne, you fund a facility that can give to people. You fund a facility that can house people 24 7, 365, so that they can get on with their lives. I asked officers if there are any on the call, did you show up with water when you got the call about Richie Turner? Blood will be on your hands again, especially December, not even with officers, but with the cold winter that is upon us and COVID-19. I end with that. And I thank you all for listening to me. You all have a good one. I'm gonna turn the microphone on for L'Oreal Allen. Uh, L'Oreal Allen, your version of Zoom is not up to date. And so you can't be, you can't come in that way. You're gonna to have to use a phone call if you would like. I'm gonna open the microphone for Bo Barber. Hi, can you hear me? <clears throat> yes. Um, hi, this is Bo Barber again from Village of Ogden. I'm sorry for speaking a third time. I just wanted to say it again, thank you for expressing the concern about making that uh, deal with Ameren and wanting to address utility shutoffs first. I am sorry if I rambled on tonight or what whatnot. I'm very, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired, I kind of, I haven't been able to really kind of do a lot of other things trying to make sure that we're going out and getting talk talk door canvassing door to door to make sure people are okay 
but you know, I'm going to keep working. We're going to keep working on trying to protect our community and I hope you continue to, to do so as well. And that's all I got to say. Thank you. Mayor, is there, yeah. L'Oreal has called back in. Please state your full name and city of residence. Hi, I'm L'Oreal Allen and um, I live in Champaign, Illinois. Um, I want to talk about the police and how they aren't doing their job. Um, if you know my mom, she's single and has experienced with years of domestic violence. And for most of it, I've witnessed it. Every time she's called the police, an incident would, when an incident would occur, nothing would happen. Um, the most they would say is give us a call if you have other concerns or if you have more problems. My past mentor passed away because of domestic violence. That was sad enough to imagine and just think of it if it was my mom. And to add on to that, for to um, my mom, if it was my mom, I also have many, many siblings. What are we gonna do? And where are we supposed to go if that happens? As a community, we need to come together because obviously the police can't do their job correctly. Instead of funding the police so much, start pouring into different community groups that can help with these problems. We can make groups and build relations and share experiences. We need, we need to come together and help each other out because the police aren't going to do so. Give more back to the community and not the police. Also, shootings. I live in an area of what they call, quote unquote, the ghetto, Garden Hills. There have been lots of shootings and when a shooting occurs and me and my little younger sisters who are nine, eight, 10 and, a, and seven, we all get scared and try and hide. And the police, whenever they come, they act like they can't do anything. Why? Because they're scared. If you're going to be scared, why apply for the job? Why try and, why, you're wasting time. Why? Become closer with the people in these communities and maybe you wouldn't be so scared. Be able to come and check up on the community every once in a while. Don't distance yourself because that only makes it harder on your part. Also, with the empty buildings that are around um, in the community, they shouldn't be empty. We have we have um, people sitting on the corner that are homeless, and we have other and we have other other people that need um, places to stay. Why can't you open those areas for people to stay there? You're you're building you you keep you keep continuing to build apartment buildings for for these students. Um, and those are still empty. Why? Why? You're you're leaving empty buildings when they could be used for other things, like like uh, different groups. Instead of having to meet to meet at people's houses, we should be able to have buildings like what you guys have. We should be able to have buildings and have places to meet rather than meeting in your guys' building. We could we should be able to meet in our building. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you. Turn the microphone on for Rita Connerly. Good evening, Council. This is Rita Connerly. My daughter, L'Oreal Allen, just previously spoke. And it is my hope that the City Council here um, <clears throat> has received the messages. These are the youth now who are calling and relating um, to you their concerns as it relates to our police. I come to the city council tonight with serious concerns about inappropriate conduct and what, I, and what I believe may be illegal actions taken by the police officers here at Champaign. 
As she noted, I am a domestic violence victim survivor. My abuser has escalated behavior also now has involved me in being someone who is being victimized by DCFS. In addition to that, he's also used the courts to file false reports with false documentation. I wanna thank services such as Courage Connection and other social services and resources provided by Unit 4 Schools, family and friends that I was able to stay safe and keep my family safe. What the officers did, their misconduct and clear biases prevented them from properly serving me and my family during our most vulnerable moments. Upon filing complaints and speaking with Lieutenant Olmstead on several occasions, I was advised that both of the officers who I had concerns with denied mediation to address my concerns. This is disappointing and I find it very disrespectful. These are the same officers that if needed will respond to my calls. How can I entrust that officers who aren't even willing to engage in conversation to seek solutions together are denying that, that uh, the mediation services uh, offered? Isn't that what officers are supposed to be doing in and around and throughout our community, engaging with the citizens? Their inability to understand citizens' issues, my issues as a victim, further contributes to the systemic crisis in and around and throughout our city. What I'd like to know is how do you prioritize your calls and how and and how respond and how you respond to those calls. I asked that because on October 28th, I had one of your senior officers come to my home. I found this very di disturbing and also an attempt to intimidate me. To know that a homicide detective, Detective Griffin, would arrive at my home in plain clothes in his own personal vehicle, or at least a vehicle that was not identified as a police vehicle, wearing a Blue Lives Matter shirt with his gun holstered on his waist. That was intimidating. To find out he was here at my home to investigate an incident that occurred in August at the police station, I was flabbergasted. He was talking about the incident that occurred with the chalk and the washable paint there at the police station. When are we going to get past that? There was not one person that was hurt. Again, a homicide detective responded to an incident that occurred back in August to my home on October 28th in an attempt to intimidate me. We have shootings going on, like my daughter noted, in Garden Hills. And the response time to those shootings is slow, if any at all. There is no emphasis put on this neighborhood, Garden Hills. My question is why? Is it because Garden Hills is a predominantly black and brown community? As we know, we still have an issue of flooding. We too know there is construction going on as a fix to that. However, that solution will not be concluded until 2030. That is 10 years. How can we allow a community of predominantly black and brown citizens to go for an additional 10 years with a problem that has been for as long as I can remember? I am concerned with who and how our city chooses to prioritize where it chooses to prioritize and how it chooses to prioritize. 
My young daughter here is calling to express her concerns. Her and her young siblings hiding in our basement in our own home to know that they are not even feeling safe where we lay and where they lay their head each night. As a parent, I feel so helpless. What do I do? I feel alone. Now I have the city not helping in any way, shape or form. I have police who are intimidating me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm gonna turn the microphone on for Aaron Humbarger. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, state your name and city of residence. Uh, my name is Aaron Umbarger. I'm from Champaign, Illinois. Uh, first, I'd like to thank Ms. Connolly for her uh, testimony. I know that's not always easy to do. Um, I just wanted to share a couple of pieces of information about uh, Aaron that I had uh, gotten from speaking to the customer service representatives. Um, one, the Fresh Start program that Alan mentioned earlier, um, that, is, that money came out of a program called Cool or Warm Neighbors Cool Friends, which essentially is um, people from the community or whoever donates money to Ameren um, and then they distribute that money. Um, so there's probably a good chance that that program is not coming back uh, to kind of save anybody that's coming into this moratorium. Um, and that's, that leads into the other note um, that I, other thing that I learned from customer service representative at Ameren is that, uh, Anybody that is disconnected prior to the moratorium starting on December 1st um, has to pay their bill in full, uh, their, their uh, past due balance in order to get reconnected. There's no reconnection order like there was earlier um, in, the, in the spring. Um, so the only option that anybody has at this point is to either pay your final or your past due bill um, or to get on a deferred payment program, which is, has its own uh, red tape and difficulties for sure. Uh, so I just want to thank that, or I just wanted to share that uh, with everyone. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to turn the microphone on for Justin Hendricks. Can everyone hear me? Yes. Please state your name and city of residence. Okay. I was just making sure everyone heard me before I start speaking, sir. Uh, my name is Justin Michael Hendricks, Champaign-Urbana resident, Parkland College student, creative hidden homeboy. Before I start, I would like to ask, while, um, while we're in a pandemic, where is the compassion, Amber and other services for utilities? And um, while we're getting shutoffs, we need to make sure that we're being shut back back on just as quickly. Um, I don't know how to follow up behind two strong voices, a black woman and a black girl, but we've been doing that for years in history and democracy. Uh, make sure you thank your black women in, politi in politics and legislation, yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. We owe the country to them. We're forever embedded and indebted to, to black women, know that. I just wanna say that we have our second pantry currently at use at 401 East Park, the home of Reverend Terrence and Bethel Amy Church. We plan at Hidden Homeboy to debut our clothing closet within the coming week at the IMC in Urbana. I currently have a, pref a plethora of donated children's clothes and other items. I am asking for shopping bags um, to be donated to use those when delivering clothes to the families. I refuse to deliver clothes in grocery bags. I want them to feel special when I'm delivering these items. So if you'd like to donate those, please let me know. Contact me, info at hiddenhomeboy.com. Also, if you'd like to contribute uh, by donating to the pantries, um, please donate via Venmo or Cash App at Hidden Homeboy 88. That's H-I-T-N-H-O-M-E-B-O-Y-H-8. 
My name is Justin Michael Hendricks, the people's mayor. Make sure you thank a black woman. Kamala out. There are no other hands raised, Madam Mayor. All right, council comments. Seeing none, city manager. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, I just want to remind council and members of the public that the city offices will be closed tomorrow, November 11th in observance of Veterans Day. Um, and on behalf of our city staff and our city organization, we want to thank all members of active military and all people who have served in the military in the past for their service to our community and our country. Um, and that is all besides the introduction to the study sessions tonight. Thank you. Vouchers? Madam Mayor, I move that we approve the vendor payments in the amount of $3,347,051.90. Second. Is there any discussion? Will the clerk please call the roll? Councilmember Gladney? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Brick? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Foreman? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes, um, they are approved nine to zero. Council member Bruno, anything further? Yes, Madam Mayor. I move that we approve two payrolls, the payroll of October 16th, 2020 in the amount of $1,942,239.46 and the payroll of 10-30-20 in the amount of $1,995,000 $708.56. Second. Is there any discussion? Seeing none, will the clerk please call the roll? Councilmember Gladney? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Briggs? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Foreman? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes, payrolls are both approved nine to zero. I don't think we have any investments, so we are on to our study session. So very briefly, Your Honor, I'd like to introduce our first study session of the evening. Um, the city has received special allocations of the Community Development Block Grant as part of federal COVID relief. Um, council members have approved two rounds of this and we received notification that the city is going to receive additional funding. And so we would like to discuss with you some options to direct this third allocation to some critical emerging needs that are COVID specific tonight. And I'd like to turn the presentation over to Jennifer Carlson, who is our neighborhood programs manager, and she will introduce the rest of our team. Thank you, city manager. And good evening, council. With me tonight is um, Janelle Gomez and Tracy Parsons, and we're here to present the COVID-19 relief program study session. In this study session, we are seeking council direction on an amendment to the fiscal year 2020-21 annual action plan and the associated sub-recipient agreements for the programs. Janelle, Tracy, and I are going to share information about funding, accomplishments, and new proposed programs. 
Um, tonight's focus on this study session is the newest um, block grant allocation, but I do want to take a moment to highlight the big picture of CDBG funds and the support um, locally for coronavirus relief. Um, all in total, we have one over $1.5 million for coronavirus relief. In the next two slides, I'm going to share the current accomplishments of the CDBG-funded relief programs. Um, the city's direct impact has been meaningful at the community level. In just three months of operation, $612,000 of the $791,000 has been expended. It's also important to note that five of the six programs are carried out by subgrantees, and four of these partnerships are with new subgrantees for the city. In total, these funds have assisted 323 beneficiaries, and a few highlights of the program include rent and mortgage payments for people that have lost income due to COVID, year-round emergency shelter for single men and women, which did not exist in the community prior to the pandemic, a new program for people released from prison due to the coronavirus, which assists with the challenges of transitioning from prison to home, and a complete new design of delivery of youth programming, which is typically provided in large groups in person, primarily in the summer. As for the Small Business Relief Grant Program accomplishments, um, the city's provided grants to a diverse group of 48 small local businesses. The average grant award was around $10,000, with 22 businesses receiving the maximum grant award amount of $15,000. Um, all of the $520,000 allocated to this um, program have been awarded. Of the businesses to receive an award, 34 reported as minority-owned, 19 reported as woman-owned, and with some of those businesses selecting both categories. Feedback from grantees has been very supportive, with some businesses stating that they wouldn't remain open without the city's grant funding. The current, current guidance for us from HUD um, for CDBGCV funds asks for a five-day public comment period, a public hearing, and council approval of funding decisions. Um, so on this slide, I've entered um, some key dates for the public to be aware of and um, the way that they can submit their comments and um, online or by telephone. So with new, um, the new CDBGCV round three funds, staff are proposing programs to address rent and mortgage assistance, small business assistance, youth programming and crime prevention programming. Per HUD regulations, all programs must prepare, prevent or respond to COVID-19, must be a new or expanded eligible service or expense and can't be duplicated by another funding source. To evaluate need and non-duplication, staff have been working with many community partners um, throughout the beginning of the pandemic. Staff use these guiding principles to review the needs and recommend allocation of funds. Number one, getting the resources to the community quick, quickly to have a meaningful impact, and then also identifying services that can be provided within our existing city staff capacity. A wide array of program offerings for COVID relief programs are available from federal, state, and local government, um, public health, faith-based faith based, and nonprofit agencies. So we designed our potential programs to address areas with fewer funding options. 
Despite the various service offerings, staff recognize that there are many local unmet needs because of the ongoing impact of COVID. Council may determine that other COVID-based needs are more critical to address than those described in this study session and may direct staff to allocate funds differently among the needs described, increasing funds for some services and decreasing funds for other. And this is the point I will turn it over to Janelle. Good evening, Council. Uh, the first proposed allocation is for around $290,000 in additional rental assistance. Um, please note that this amount differs from the amount in your um, report to council as we realize the error as we're preparing this study session. In the council and the RTC, it says $210,000. Although there's over $1 million available in short-term rental assistance from COVID-19 um, or other general funds um, from the state throughout Champaign County, there continues to be a high demand for assistance. The city partnered with Champaign Township, City of Champaign Township to provide $50,000 of rent and mortgage relief assistance with round one DDBG CV funds, of which 36,000 has already been expended. Um, staff from the Champaign City of Champaign Township anticipate the demand for rental assistance will increase um, if the eviction moratorium is lifted as planned on December 31st. The city may be able to partner with township um, to provide additional rent and mortgage relief funds of up to $600 a month for three months, which would benefit approximately 145 households. Um, we are also, the second proposed allocation is for an additional $118,000 in small business assistance. Um, the Small Business Incentive Program was amended in June to include the COVID relief grant program. This program allocated all $520,000 to 48 small businesses. Uh, applications um, were accepted from late June until August 1st, and the city received 83 applications. We did not review all applications as we stopped reviewing as soon as we expended the full $520,000. This additional allocation would allow us to review the additional um, businesses on that list and possibly fund up to 10 additional businesses. Um, for small businesses, there are additional state and federal funds, such as the PPP program, um, um, that helped direct this specific allocation. Um, the third proposed allocation is for $250,000 for youth programming. Champaign Unit Board schools have primarily operated on distance learning basis since the onset of the, onset of the pandemic in March. Uh, Unit 4 administration has reported the following concerns as a result of COVID-19. Challenges uh, with accessing Wi-Fi using school-provided laptops and hotspots, foundational literacy and numeracy for kindergarten through second grade um, children, parents needing extended support beyond the 2.5 hours of school, and some juniors and seniors not being on track to graduate. Uh, funding for new and expanded youth programming would cover expenses related to tutoring, technical support, oversight while engaging in virtual learning with Unit 4 staff, and recreation when academic work is completed. Potential partners include the city's Community Matters and Community Coalition partners. For example, one of the city's Community Matters partners, Lifeline Inc., operated a remote learning hub in September and October. The program was well received and received several statements of support of parents um, when that program was about to close when it ran out of funding. Um, on council direction, staff will work with the city's current youth programming partners and request proposals to support expansion of current distant learning hub offerings. 
proposals will have to include information how, on how spaces will provide for student safety in locations where they can bring their school-issued Chromebook to a learning hub in their neighborhood, to a mobile clinic, or to their school to allow access to a study space. I'm now going to turn the rest of the presentation over to Tracy Partner Parsons, who's going to discuss our fourth, fourth proposed allocation, crime prevention. Uh, good evening, uh, Mayor and Council. Uh, I'm also very pleased to be able to share with you tonight as part of the team uh, with the Neighborhood Services Department. Uh, what we presented to you tonight really reps, uh, represents uh, departmental collaboration across the city. And I believe we've done a, a, a magnificent job of addressing uh, these tough community issues through these new uh, resources that we've had available to us. Uh, I represent the community engagement side of our work for the city. Uh, we are working diligently each day to combat and address the impacts of COVID that it's had on our low-income communities, our communities of color, uh, individually, and through the neighborhoods. The impact of COVID has been significant and the disparities for black and brown communities through COVID are huge and significant. And that doesn't matter if it relates to employment, business, schools, healthcare. Uh, this has had a very dramatic impact and our ability as a city to use these resources uh, to address these really uh, complicated and complex issues are, are really important. So I'm in full support and of what we've presented to you tonight. And I think it shares a good uh, reflection of our collaboration as a city across, again, departments. As you are aware, our gun violence has uh, reached crisis level. Uh, the numbers that you have from March to April represent 137 shooting incidents. Uh, which is an increase of 84 over the previous year. Uh, this data was collected through probably mid-October. We have at least uh, another 10 to a dozen incidents that have taken place since we started preparing the council bill. And so uh, our ability to address this issue uh, really, really is a, at a critical moment and um, really want to share a couple of things that we are presenting to you. So we're talking about investing um, $100,000 uh, in this area. Um, and so if you, next slide, please. And so we wanted to talk about uh, a couple of different initiatives uh, and, and the impact of the work that we're looking to uh, improve and increase and strengthen. So we're uh, seeking uh, $50,000 to support uh, a violence interruption model program uh, called the 10 Point Coalition. I had a chance to go to the Regional Neighborhood Conference a couple of years ago. So I had a chance to hear about um, Fort Wayne, Indiana and Indianapolis and some work that they were doing around uh, violence interruption. And it was community-based. It was a team approach that we had identified teams, identified neighborhoods, um, and we were able to put teams out into the neighborhoods to impact violence, uh, inform uh, community members,
build some community capacity to work on some of these issues within itself. And so uh, our community violence response team locally uh, presented this same model to us uh, earlier in the year. And so we've been working to build and organize our work for our local 10 point coalition. One of the reasons we've struggled in building this violence interruption model is that we haven't had the resources to get it off the ground. We've identified and looked at community members that we've asked to volunteer to do this intentional work. So we, we really need uh, the resources to pilot this, this work. We're gonna use our faith community as the hubs. So we've identified Berean Covenant Church, Pilgrim Church, Bethel Church, and Mount Calvary Church as the partner organizations to build the community teams to do the neighborhood engagement work. And so not only is it about gun violence, but it's about COVID education and really building community capacity. The other area uh, that we've been working for a couple of years is around the area and issue of trauma. Uh, the, the impact of COVID um, has heightened um, the need for support around uh, trauma's impact, uh, mental health support, um, I think you heard from one of our community members that called earlier to talk about just how under siege these neighborhoods are and that have been impacted by uh, uh, gun violence and the need for supports, whether it's mental health, whether it's social service. And uh, we've been working through our trauma organization, CU, Champaign-Urbana Trauma and Resist Resiliency Initiative that we've started through the community coalition Karen Sims, our point person on for this organization has been doing wonderful work. Uh, again, building out uh, supports for individuals, families, um, and neighborhoods that have been significantly impacted by our, by our gun violence. And so we've needed resources. Again, we've done this on a shoestring, uh, raising money to help support families directly impacted by gun violence and the neighborhoods uh, indirectly that have been impacted by our gun violence. And so we have a team of professionals that are prepared to provide trauma support. It's a wraparound approach. Uh, we've been working with families for the last couple of years to implement this work. We've been doing trainings in neighborhoods around the impact of trauma. So allowing uh, this, these resources will again allow us to build out the capacity to do more. The other thing that we've been doing that's really important to be supported by this work is working directly with families that have been impacted by, by gun violence. So we've gone in with a team of professionals working with those families. We've done everything from help with transportation, relocation, planning and organizing families. You heard about the utility bills and things of that nature that families have been struggling with employment, groceries, all of those are the types of services and supports we've been working with families. We need to be able to take that to the next level. And so um, we've, we've learned that it takes about $750 to $1,000 to really help uh, these families in crisis transition through, through the work. And so this is really exciting, uh, two parts of our work that we're gonna be able to add and strengthen uh, with these new resources. And so thanks for hearing about this and um, 
Jennifer, that's my part, so thank you. Thank you, Tracy. Um, this concludes our presentation. And at this time, the team's happy to answer any technical questions. And we'd like to ask council to consider alternative one, direct staff to draft an amendment to the fiscal year 2020-21 annual action plan and associated subrecipient agreements. According to HUD guidelines on CDBGCB, incorporating council input for council action at a future regular meeting. Staff anticipate bringing the action plan and agreements back to council on January 21st, 2021, based on tonight's feedback. Thank you. Uh, are there any technical questions? Councilmember Beck? So I have a couple questions um, in regards to, first of all, I'm wondering, uh, since we were talking about youth programming, distance learning assistance, and we've, we're hearing about what the needs are that Unit 4 staff has uh, indicated exist, can you talk about what Unit 4 is doing to contribute to those, um, to those needs and how what we are going to do will complement that? Um, yes, Unit 4 is offering um, drop-in services in their, in their schools, um, so that, that's one service that they are providing to provide the remote um, support. They're, they're providing um, Chromebooks and Wi-Fi hotspot devices um, to all students as well. And I, I would like to say that um, Unit 4 staff were um, a part of planning for this. We, we've had um, multiple meetings and conversations with them and they are definitely um, helping drive the bus on what we should um, do to support those families. Okay, I, I guess uh, one of my questions is then, so is there any, um, any consideration of, you know, creating access in people's homes for Wi-Fi or for um, connectivity in homes outside of this? What, are there any programs that are actually looking at that so that people don't have to go so they can continue to isolate and they don't have to be with other people? So that's one of the disparities that kind of exists as far as like economically, I would think, or as my understanding is that some families have a better, have a, have the choice of, keeping their kids out of school and because they have connectivity at home. Other families don't have that choice. They either have to be in a learning pod like this or they have to be in school as a, as a, as a student going to a, a school during the day. So what, have there been any considerations about that to bridge that gap of disparity? Yeah, Jennifer, if I might. So, so Councilmember Beck, what we've seen is that it really is it's a it's not a it, it's a comprehensive approach that needs to be put in place to support our kids and families. And so, there are learning centers, there are uh, technical support being provided by the district, but our families need so much more. And so, mm -hmm. what we've been talking about is how we do support families in their homes in the community, in the neighborhoods, how we help build community capacity is really what we're seeing. And then we have to be honest that some of the homes are not conducive for learning. Mm -hmm. So we've seen kids with their hotspots in their pockets, 
riding mm -hmm. around on their bicycles with their computers on their handlebars because the home environment wasn't the best. So mm -hmm. it, it really is, we've been talking with unit four and working with them. So I, I wanna talk about this from a comprehensive community approach. And that's the reason we put so much, so many resources in this area. Can you imagine kids who haven't had direct learning since February? I am so concerned about what's happening with our learning environment. And we've gotta be very intentional in that process to support our kids and families at home, in the school and providing community-based resources. I, I totally agree, but that's not my question. I, I don't disagree with you. And I think that what you've presented tonight is a comprehensive approach and I'm not arguing that at all. I'm specifically looking at the youth programming distance learning assistance. And then I have some additional questions about the other pieces later um, because we're allocating $250,000 to that for the learning assistance centers. And I'm wondering what resources in the community are available for people that, and I don't disagree with you. There are definitely home environments that aren't conducive to learning. And there's, and, and I think that we need to support families in that, absolutely. Um, and I'm not saying it's an either or thing. I'm asking what resources are available to families, whether it's through unit for us or through anyone so that families have that choice so they can make the choice whether or not they want to keep their student at home to study. And if they're not given that flexibility, that's the disparity I'm talking about. And I agree, children are not be getting, they're not getting the uh, learning environment, educate uh, environment. They're not getting the learning engagement that they need, oftentimes because of environment, but sometimes because of the tools aren't there. And it's because they don't have access. And I'm wondering what, what outside of this is available. So, I'm sorry to interrupt Councilman Beck. I see several council members raising their hand. Please yeah. let Councilmember Beck finish and then I will call on you guys. Well, I, I was trying to answer her question is why I was raising my hand because I have some inside baseball knowledge on this, but you can go in if you want. I, there are some programs that the school have reached out to Comcast and other providers. Part of the issue is that we've, that we've run into is bandwidth. If you've got numerous people in the family that are on the computer at the same, on the network at the same time. And then to Tracy's point, the issue of environment and there's, you know, several kids in home trying to learn or there's other family members or other things that's, it's not so much an issue of the district hasn't tried to get in that access to families. It's just that that's only a piece of the puzzle, unfortunately. Right, and again, I'm not disagreeing that that, and I'm not suggesting that this shouldn't happen. I'm saying that there's a gap that I wanna make sure is filled. And if that's not filled, then I wanna make sure that we do that. And so if unit four is not doing that, then we need to make sure that we're doing that. So I guess my input about that, I will save, but I think you can read between the lines that what I'm basically saying is, let's not just do this. This is a good piece of the puzzle, but if there are other technological gaps that exist, let's look at that too, okay? And then my second technical question is um, about uh, the short-term rent and mortgage assistance. Um, are we just talking about rent and mortgage in this or, and it doesn't include any utilities, correct? 
That's right. We're just talking about rent and mortgage. Okay. And so none, nothing that we're doing is addressing uh, people's utility issues at all. Correct. Okay. Um, do you think that there's still a gap in the amount of assistance for utilities in our community? I, yeah, I think there's, there's an unmet need. Um, there, yes, there is. Okay. Um, and then the last parts are about the, about the um, 10 point coalition. And I'm wondering uh, if you can, we don't really have much information about the 10 point coalition. Like this is just basically a couple paragraphs telling us that it's a violence interruption program. Um, but we haven't received any information about it in the past. And I'm wondering if there's, if you can tell us what the 10 points are. So the, the 10 points are, I, I don't have, I'm sorry, I don't have that right in front of me, but it is all about community engagement. It's about capacity building. It's about being um, in the space when there are uh, acts of uh, violence taking place, to have interrupters there trained, prepared to address those issues in the moment. Um, and so that's at the core of it, Council Member Beck. And um, we certainly can get you uh, our local program, what we've designed and put in place um, for you if you have not had a chance to see that. Yeah, no, I don't think that it's been forwarded to Council at all, to my knowledge, unless I missed that in an email that came to us or a memo that came to us that I missed. Um, so I think that that would be helpful for Council to have that information. Um, and then I'm also wondering how the decision was made for who to pilot the program with. Um, Cause I know, you know, and we're also not, you know, in other times that we've done things like this, we've actually put out RFPs to try to get the people that make the most sense. And so how were, how was the decision made about these four congregations? For so all of them, just quickly, just for all of these programs, no decisions have been made about who our partners will be. These are just potential partners um, okay. that we've identified just in, you know, talking to different partners in the community. For okay. almost all of these programs, we will we'll create RFPs. That's why we've given ourselves a little bit of time um, to develop the specifics and the contract. Right, and that's, it's kind of being presented in here though, like they were kind of already, you talked to them and you've already decided with them that they were, you're going to partner with them. That's the way in which it's presented tonight. All right. So nope. if I'm misunderstanding that, I, I'm sorry, but there's no RFP. Will there be an RFP that goes out for this section for the 10 point coalition? Um, I'm, I can speak to the, the student, the student youth programming one. Mm -hmm. And like, for example, I set a meeting with community, community for those partners on Thursday, waiting to get feedback tonight. And that's when I was going to present it to those groups and talk about, you know, how we move forward. So it's all moving really quickly. Um, all of our funding requires, um, a bid process, if, even if it's sole source. So I don't know about how we would specifically partner with for that program, but for all of our other programs, we have a a process that we will to for determining the correct partner. Yeah, so I, I, I recognize that the um, the CU trauma and resiliency is actually a, a, a sole provider. So likely that will be bid differently because it's a sole provider, right? 
but then in the right. other piece, the 10 point coalition piece, I'm not seeing how that leaves room for a bidding process, but maybe we can learn more about that. Council member Beck, this is carried. I, I did. I also wanted to add um, with all of these programs, I wanted to thank our three staff on here. They have quickly pulled um, a lot of information together and talked to a lot of agencies similar with our round one. If you recall back in April and May and June, um, what's the fastest way, uh, the most responsive way that we can get this money out the door? Because as we keep hearing, there are so many unmet needs. Uh, we can't meet all of those needs. Um, but we're trying to be responsive to that and get it out quickly. Um, so even with, uh, I think Jennifer mentioned the next date was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, January 21st is when we were hoping to get the next um, council bill in front of you, which would be at the actual amendment to the annual action plan. We have to go through that technical process. Sure. Um, and, and then also the contracts, because even that doesn't feel ideal to us, quite honestly, because we're in the midst of the pandemic and we know people are struggling particularly as the winter is upon us. So um, that's the reason for some of this, we're trying to push it forward and identify who are those partners that could carry out the work. Uh, but we're certainly open to, um, to input tonight as well, if there's any concerns or pieces uh, that, need to, that need to be changed. I, I, I too am concerned about getting it out as quickly as possible. But I guess my, my question is, you know, just to go back and circle back around to the technical piece and I'm hearing what you're saying and why you're pushing these things forward quickly and I totally am on board with that. But what I'm asking is, will there be an RFP process for the 10 point coalition? Or are we just going to try to use like this as a sole provider thing because you believe that these are the four best agencies and that there are no other providers that would provide the same level of service? That's what I'm asking. Under, understood. So, Go ahead, Tracy. Yeah. So, Councilmember Beck, um, as as you are aware, we have ongoing work that we're doing to address our community violence issue. Community violence is a priority of the community coalition. We established uh, maybe uh, close to two years ago what we call our community violence response task force, that's comprised of I don't know all across our community. Uh, part community, community coalition partners that have been meeting, working to uh, develop our community violence response. So this uh, 10 point coalition initiative has come out of that community work where all of our community partners are at the table working on solutions together. And so to find this evidence-based program that could help shape our violence interruption work has been really key for us. And so um, this is a community brought together initiative. The churches have been identified by those working on this. The churches are strategically located in the neighborhoods and the areas where we have our highest level. We work with police to put heat maps and look at where our incidents are taking place. These churches are strategically located in those areas. Uh, the community churches are the hubs, but we build community teams comprised of community members from all across our community. And so it's a strategically planned and coordinated and organized approach. And finding this evidence-based model to link us has been really key. So no, we wouldn't, We've, we've researched, we've brought trainers in for years to look at violence interruption. We took a team up to Chicago to look at violence interruption models. 
And uh, to find this one has been a real connecting, unifying uh, piece for us. So uh, we would not be <laughs> looking to go outside of this work that we've been doing for the last year to, and, and it includes all the community partners, first followers, the churches, HBNT, I mean, almost any group you name that's been working on our violence interruption, housing authority, we're all at the table on this for this project. So I, I totally understand that and I hear everything you're saying. I, I, I get it. I know there's lots of people that have come together to talk about this program and to make it happen. And I'm on board with all of that. I'm on board with the violence interruption program. I'm totally on board with all of that. But that's not my question. My question is, how will this be bid out? How will we do a request proposal, basically? I think what Councilmember Beck is asking is, are there going to be different people invited to the table because the right. same people have been at the table and she yes. wants to see new people because we've recycled yes. the same people yes. doing gun violence for 20 years in this community. We need to see new people sitting at the table, period. Yes. So I want to know if, let's just say that there's an organization that is unnamed in this document and they came to you and said, we think we'd be really great partners in this uh, coalition that you want to build would they be able to then submit a request for funding in place of one of these churches that you or congregations that you've put down as potential partners? So um, I, I just am wondering if there's that ability. If you're looking at that, if you're, if you're putting that out there or if you're just saying, we're only gonna have these four and we know we're gonna give money to these four. Well, council members, I can tell you, we are always looking for additional folks to work with us and come to the table to help us address this issue. We haven't closed the door or blocked anyone out from working with us. No, so Tracy, I'm not, I don't, I'm not suggesting that. What I'm asking is, and, and maybe that's not, maybe this isn't the question for you. Maybe this is a question yeah. for uh, somebody else that's like actually dealing with the actual uh, process of the granting. In this process, when we are going to spend this money, are we going to use the, are we going to ask providers at large for requests about the, to be part of this, to receive funding for programs, or are we, have we already identified our set of people? And so we're not gonna do that. So typically when you get CDBG money and you have a, uh, set dollar amount. Um, now, traditionally, a lot of times the money has gone to the same organizations over time, right? But we still open up the process and we say, okay, hey, community, we've got $2 million to spend on X. And so everybody send in your proposals and we'll review these proposals and then we'll decide which is the best fit for our city. So are we doing that with this program or are we not doing that with this program? What's the process that we're following? So Carrie, do you have an answer to that? Uh, yeah, I'll answer. Um, so with the community matters, I think the, the dollars that you're talking about are community, community matters, our public service dollars outside of COVID. We actually do not do a wide open community all call. Um, so just to clarify, we have since I think approximately 2008 or 2009, we've had a 
group of partners that serve youth um, that we solicit proposals from. It is not a call to all agencies that might serve youth because we've done that um, prior to about 2008 or 2009. We mm -hmm. used to have a very competitive community service grant process right. um, and we had moved away from that. So I think um, tonight we're looking for direction. What is council's preference, number one? Number two, we're wanting to get the money out quickly. And so that may, we've identified, as Tracy said, these partners, I'm hearing that there may be interest in opening up to a wider net. I think the direction we would ask then is it will likely slow down the process if we do an all call, but that is certainly something that we can do. We can put out an all call uh, to any agency that would be involved in violence interruption or community violence programs. Um, the kind of the middle ground that I'm seeing is to do something like what we do with Community Matters, except we would transition, instead of looking at the groups that Janelle works with in Community Matters, we would go to the coalition, uh, to uh, Tracy's, the Champaign County Coalition and ask for proposals from that group. So it's agencies that, that Tracy's already worked with that are part of that movement. If that maybe it gets at what you and council member Foreman were just expressing, um, your concerns that it needs to be opened up. Maybe it's unnamed uh, agencies. And then the, um, so I, th I think there's really three options there. A complete all call, a middle ground, which may be similar to the community matters, um, how we handle those proposals every year, except we would go to the coalition. Um, and then the, the third one is what's in the memo, which is these, these agencies that have been identified as kind of the hubs in the neighborhood. And, and I may be wrong here, Tracy, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the hubs that you've identified, other partners would be with them. They wouldn't be, it wouldn't be just the church per se. And it, correct me if I'm wrong though, there may be people that are working in the coalition that would be working with those hubs. Yes, these would, the hubs are just the, the, the base entity. There will be community involvement across the board. And so, yes, that's part of the plan. Okay, so I, maybe those are the, three options for this particular funding that we're looking at or this program in your memo that we're speaking to that could be considered. And we'd ask for council direction on that. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. That's all my questions. Councilmember Pianfetti. Oh, I um, liked the way everything was broken out. For me, when I was um, thinking about this, the question I had was um, some of it, um, and Tracy, you talked about it being a pilot. Um, the youth program, it seemed like um, it, it was run for a little bit, had a shutdown, unit four wanted some more money. Um, I'd be curious to see um, maybe written in um, some ideas about evaluation or some sort of collection of information, some sort of data um, that would help inform us, not necessarily, I, I would hope at some point we would be making decisions like this, but um, I'm curious to see what kind of um, feedback we would be getting that would um, help us build out some other programs like I, I was thinking the inclusiveness of all this lends well to like our lift program or some of the other programs that we support in um, for um, trying to curb the violence in our community. So I, I was just wondering um, 
what kind of feedback would we be provided to see the impact of this money that was being spent? Or, or, or how would that, that look? I don't want anything formal, but when you talk about something being a pilot or when we're giving $250,000 towards some kind of youth program, programming, um, you know, for me, I would like that to translate into something larger down the road for us. Is there any way that we would be able to know more from that? So, um, this is Janelle here. Almost all of uh, the youth programs track additional information. Obviously, the programs out of Unit 4 have the most information. They track GPAs and um, uh, absences and, you know, community programs and some of our other programs have like, um, sorry, surveys or tests. And so they track literacy, like DREAM tracks literacy and the children they support. Um, and all of this is greatly in excess of what HUD requires of us. And HUD requires, is this a low income person and are you you know providing a service to them? So um, we have prepared all of our partners um, that this wanting to show the impact is very important to council. Um, and they all, they, there isn't a standard. I don't, can't say across the board, all the programs collect the information in the same way, but all of them collect additional information um, that we can get from them and present to council. We have not um, done the RFP or, you know, the pair of the contracts for the upcoming program. Um, and we don't, we want the information, but we also don't want to burden them with, you know, um, maybe going outside of their skill set or their ability as a, you know, a smaller nonprofit. So that's, I think, I think it's important. I think it's something that we can get. I just don't know how much and how, um, how it would compare amongst the different agencies. Um, for example, um, this, before any of this, this funding came about, um, Park District contacted us about wanting to possibly do a drop-in center at Douglas. And this wouldn't be a suit like a tightly supervised where someone's teaching you, but it would be a place where maybe teens or middle school places kids could go with their school laptop. And that, again, is something like they would probably be able to track numbers, but they wouldn't have things like GPAs, you know, or attendance rates. So, um, so yeah, so it's something that we would definitely consider putting into the contracts um, and we'd have to think about. And, and I'm not sure I was looking for things like GPA, just I think I was looking more for whether or not it was impactful. And I, and I think the the program leaders can tell you, you know, it's not necessarily about GPA as much as, you know, the, the community impact for these families and things like that. Um, Just as long as there's that, that consideration, I guess, is that, that that had been thought about was enough. I, I certainly don't want to burden them as well, but I just wanted to know that, that those conversations were being had. So thank oh. you for that. Yeah, a great example is our, the DREAM program. They do a, a parent or guardian survey and they ask, you know, um, at the very beginning, you know, what is your dream or your hope for this child? And then they ask later what they got out of it and they, they keep those as part of the file. And they're at, when we do monitoring, they're actually you know, pretty inspiring to read. So they, there, is, there is the information um, that we could, we could get and present um, so that we can measure the impact or show that there has been an impact. Thank you. Councilmember Stock, did you have further comment? You had your hand up next. I didn't have the thing, thank you. 
there anybody else who has technical? Councilmember Foreman. Um, I wanted to go back to something Carrie spoke. So Carrie, you said that the community partners we worked with since 2009 for gun violence. Um, and I don't know if anybody can speak to this, but has gun violence decreased in Champaign since we've started using these community partners in 2009? I apologize, Councilmember Foreman. I was referring to Community Matters. That's our youth programs, if, if I misspoke. Can you speak to how long we've been working with the gun violence partners that you spoke, that you alluded to? So the CV. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Trey. Yeah. So, Councilmember Foreman, we started noticing our increase in gun violence in 2015, not 2009. And so we've been working pretty diligently. This year has been an unprecedented year. And through the coalition, we've had a number of people and organizations come and go. You know, we've been the consistent entity working on this the last couple of years. And so, um, you know, I, I think the organizations we've identified, the individuals that are at the table working on this every day, that have been doing this without any resources, volunteering their time, trying to make a difference in our community, uh, are the ones that are at the table doing this. And so I'm not saying there are not other people out here interested in this issue. See, I think this is I think this is where we're having a confusion. I think that you think that because we're asking about the people that are sitting at the table, we're saying as if maybe they're not doing work. We're not saying that. If you can't see as the community relations person that you are and that your title is, is that other people can sit at the table and we can make change and other ideas and new people are good and that new things can come in and new new blood can shape how things change then we are acting as gatekeepers and you are acting as a gatekeeper to our community. Well, I, I don't agree with that at all. And so what I would share with you, we have community meetings all the time and all over the place for community members to give us input and participate. And people do do their own thing all over this community. And so we aren't being gatekeepers on who can be involved and do work at all. But we are creating in places for us to work together and, and so that's, that's what we've created through our work, through the coalition and through our community violence work is for those folks really interested in working with us to address this issue, they have a place. Are there any other technical questions before we get to comment? Councilmember Briggs. I just have a quick question. You identified a couple of neighborhoods like Garden Hills and Douglas Park, which definitely are important neighborhoods for this. Um, but are you also including areas that are a little more isolated like apartment complexes? And um, I know like Gramercy Park and Country Brook and there's been some increased incidences there as well. And I know um, they were trying to set up neighborhood groups and they're a little more isolated. They're not within a neighborhood per se. Um, so are they also included in the work that you would be doing with the 10 Point Coalition? So yes, what we've done to identify the areas is look at heat maps. So law enforcement is working with us, providing us the data on where our incidents are taking place. And so we've identified those four areas that these groups we will be working um, in. We also, through neighborhood services and our office, have been meeting with all of our large apartment complexes to talk about how we can work better together to communicate, provide more safety, 
They've been providing plans of action to all of us in our meetings. Those have gone very well. We've looked at new neighborhoods where incidents have surfaced to help uh, through neighborhood services to organize neighborhood groups and neighborhood leadership so that uh, neighborhoods can strengthen and have the capacity themselves to help address this issue and share what's going on and talk about what their needs are. So this is only one part. This is the violence interruption part of this work that's in the streets, that's in the neighborhoods directly, but through the city and through my office, the coalition and neighborhood services, we've been getting out in neighborhoods over the past uh, six months or so, having re regular meetings, John Ruffin and Carrie's office, meeting with neighborhood leaders. So we've been doing a number of things, a really comprehensive approach, I think, to help address neighborhood needs and concerns. And so you, you said there were four main areas. So who, what are the other two then with Garden Hills and Douglas Park? So we have Douglas uh, neighborhood, uh, Garden Hills. We have the uh, center area where you're talking about the Country Brook Gramercy area. And then um, the uh, Centennial area, I think we're calling it Holiday Park is where we've noticed an increase in activities and uh, uh, gun violence related incidents. Okay, thank you. Any other technical questions? Councilmember Gladney, was that a hand up or just a move in your? Just a movement. <laughs> okay. I see no other technical questions. We're gonna to go to the audience. Please state your name and city of residence and limit your comments to five minutes or less. I'll turn the microphone on for Brian Dunn. Hey, I'm on my phone now, so I hope everybody can hear me. Um, but I just want to appreciate all the work uh, just everyone is doing around addressing community violence. And I do like what I'm hearing in terms of where we need to invest. Um, a lot of these groups that have been doing work on the ground outside of the police have been doing so with little to no budget. And I would love to see the impact these groups can make with, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not you know, a million plus dollars. I think that would be an amazing investment for our community. And I would love to see something like that happen. Um, I love discussion around kind of opening up who is brought to the table. Um, nothing against the groups who have been doing the work so far, but um, and not, not that anybody's being shunned from the table, or anything like that. But I just think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Um, and we kind of do get into our little cliques in this community and people can be doing the same work without even knowing about each other. So I think just any effort into um, transparency and opening that up is time well spent as well. And let's see, last thing is if these uh, hubs are out of churches, I do think it is important to have a secular com component. I know that in my time in the DIY music scene and skateboarding culture here in town, um, I've known a lot of people who have been abused by the church and will, you know, shun any kind of assistance if it's coming through a church. Um, so I just think that's an important thing to keep in mind as well. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Can you hear me? Hello? 
can hear you, yes. Okay, thank State you. State your uh, name and city of residence. Name, Alan Max Axelrod, uh, residence in Urbana. Uh, I, I wanted to speak to the discussion back and forth that uh, uh, Councilwoman uh, Foreman was having with Tracy Parsons, uh, which is specifically about how uh, they had differencing perceptions on uh, whether or not there was gatekeeping in the effort to try and uh, actually start to disrupt uh, violence in the community and to create constructive spaces, et cetera. And I wanted to note some things that don't normally occur to people that may be what uh, Councilwoman Foreman was uh, stating, which is that uh, in a space where uh, victims of uh, police brutality, uh, people who based on their identity, do not feel comfortable uh, with the police uh, and making all the meetings only where there are police in the room um, is not accessible for a lot of traumatized community members who have very valuable things to say about how to keep the community safer and more supportive. Uh, so I wanted to volunteer that information. My background on this issue I have liaised for organizers uh, to basically be the bridge uh, between the police. That is not to say that we coordinated with the police. A lot of situations, they don't want that at all. But what they have done is they said, okay, you will be the person who basically talks to the police so that we don't get gaslit. And in particular, in October last year, there was a protest on campus. Black and brown students were immediately surrounded by police, including the Champaign Police Department, when they were on the sidewalk doing nothing wrong, which is a clear instance of profiling. I also pointed out to the police chief that this was not conducive to de-escalation and one of their officers successfully gaslit a protester uh, with a sarcastic remark about how they were there to keep the protesters safe, even though the police have just surrounded the protesters. So how do you have somebody who has been surrounded by the police, gaslit by the police, in accessibly enter the space that's being facilitated? I think there has to be specific spaces without the police present and without necessarily the police having direct communication with those in attendance if one is interested in not gatekeeping. Thank you. Councilmember Bruno, you're muted. I'll turn the microphone on for Drake Hockey. Hello, can everyone hear me? Yes, please state your name and city of residence. Drake Mateer, city of Champaign, U of I college student. Um, the world was ecstatic after Trump was basically lost the election. One of the biggest critiques of Donald Trump was that everywhere you see, everywhere you look, you see other members of his family working in government. They brought impeachment charges on him because of the nepotism that surrounds the Trump family. That is only a, mic a macrocosm of what we have here in Champaign, apparently, as I've noticed and have seen tonight. 
as members of the community, I have, will never ever say and talk down to the work being done in the community. However, we are in a new time, a new age, and we are also in a time where we are asking the youth to stand up. I asked the council members, who actually has a 10 point program in name, in sheet? We have given it to you on a piece of paper back since July. If you all did not see it, let me, I would be happy to read it. Number one, defund the police, invest in our communities. Number two, community control. Three, housing for all. Four, no jail expansion. Five, no cops in schools. Six, child care for all. Seven, health care for all. Eight, in ICE raids. Nine, bias training. And 10, a people's first policy approach. Those were the 10 demands of the Champaign County Anti-Racist coalition, uh, coalition, a coalition of organizations that were out there in the streets, that were at the mall during your initial rebellions. So let me tell you how, let me ask, let me just explain how, where money should go and who really needs to be at the table. Because again, I will never talk down to organizations that have been doing the work, but it's time to include more organizations. And my organization, Natural Path Nutrition Incorporated is a 501c3 organization and has been a 501c3 organization since 2016. And I've been working with this since 2012. And let me tell you what I've done with it. And I have the receipts for it as well. You can go to naturopathnutrition.com to see everything. Just today, I, we announced our two winners of the Prodigy Saint Scholarship Fund, $750 each to Chicago Public High Schools. Two young black women received it. And this Prodigy Saint Scholarship based off my clothing line, which stands for artistry and activism. And Prodigy, the, the name is in itself, young, uh, uh, young talented individual. Saints is students against inner city negligence towards society, real anti-violence in the community. That's what we're talking about. Now, how do we get into the community? Natural Path Nutrition comes in. I have done and conducted nutrition education pro programs, nutrition information sessions for the youth and for senior citizens date, dating back to 2012. I started conducting and creating my own uh, discipline and my own curriculum in 2016, going into my senior year of high school, where I uh, taught cultural development, nutrition education, including music appreciation and education. I play piano, guitar, and bass. And I will come in and we will do that as well. And I will let them know that it's more music than hip hop and rap. I love hip hop and rap because it's black music, but jazz is black music too. Gospel is black music too. And I think that's what the children need to hear. I have done the work in the community that needs to be done. We have create, uh, I have created the new age of awareness rally. We had two successful rallies where we offered for free rapid HIV testing, which automatically connected individuals that were to test positive with the co-med center in Chicago, which was a community health uh, center that offered free, free screenings on the week of uh, Men's Health Week, National Men's Health Week, which that Saturday, our uh, event was held. We had uh, offered free uh, uh, health care sign-up. We had free uh, blood pressure assessments and free blood glucose level assessments. And we invited business uh, community businesses out there. Two years that we've had that, and we had live entertainment. And we don't have to even pay for live entertainment because, baby, I do this, okay? 
So that's one that's there. I have conducted multiple programs and here in Champaign, I am here and trying to even stay in Champaign for a good five to 10 years. You do not hear that from students trying to actually do something for the people here, for my black and brown people in Champaign. I have met some beautiful people who need to be at the table too. Hidden Homeboy needs to be at the table too. Shout out to Justin and Marshall who have been doing the damn thing with sure, the community. Your sure time is up, you need to wrap up, please. I say Naturopath Nutrition Incorporated. There is a building right there next to Bradley McKinley, right next on the railroads. I would like that. And we need a homeless shelter. I can run all the programs that I've said and more. Thank you. Deputy Mayor Bruno, you were muted. Thanks. I turned the microphone on for Justin Hendricks. Hello, can you hear me now? We can. Please state your name and city of residence. Thank you very much, Justin Michael Hendricks, Champagne residents, the people's mayor, as they call it. Um, let's just keep it 100 and stay above a buck. So since May, who's been in the streets speaking and providing for the community needs? I'll wait. I didn't see many or any churches outside of Reverend Terrence. Truth be honest, when the church tried to hit the streets, it was a clout fest that outshined the loss of Kiwan Carrington. Let's be real about it. Urban League and NAACP and many officials that were privileged weren't at the malls. I remember a conversation when someone even said they weren't coming out to the malls themselves. We were at the malls to prospect to the hood campus and more. I recall asking for information from the people that were speaking today in regards to funding and have yet to hear from them, let alone have a meeting date. Last time I checked, Rita spoke the truth and a meeting was canceled about the pantry. So we played chess, not checkers. This is beyond myself, but more so for those I've seen from the ladies of Pain to Peace to Drake with Naturopath Nutrition. Marshall Austin has been mentioned since the summer about his community engagement and restoring food insecurity and now clothing. So if we're going to be real about it, let's be real at the table. Now, if the table is full of nepotism, homophobia, transphobia, and history of mismanagement, then no, I don't want to sit at the table and I don't want people at the table either because old ways are not making new changes and there are LGBTQ lives also in communities of color. Big facts. So no, if you're going to be for the black community, you must include everyone wholeheartedly and in truth and honesty. That's for all organizations. Let's be real about it when you're being an organizing organizations. Hitting homeboys black first, but also LGBTQ with focus on education, advocacy, and hip hop culture. Google hitting homeboy. You'll read everything about me from articles. You can see my films and more, even in speaking engagements. My website relaunches in the new year and more. Hit me up on social media. Lastly, CC Arc had 10 demands since the summer. But like they say, imitation is the best form of flattering. I, I digress, girl. Keep those points. Peace. Thank you. Council Member Bruno, you're muted again. Turning the microphone on for Kent Elmore. Please state your name and city of residence. Good evening, Council. My name is Kenton Elmore, and I live in Champaign. Um, I just wanted to make a, a quick comment tonight. It's not directly related to the study session item, but certainly applies to the wider conversation um, and efforts to um, you know, resolve the or work towards resolving the issues that we're talking about. Um, as you all know, I was um, among one of the first citizens to be appointed to the Force uh, Review Board a few years back. And my personal experience with that was, was um, 
it was eye-opening. And um, as you all know, I resigned from that position um, earlier this summer, um, mostly because I believe that um, getting more folks into that position, um, applying some diversity of perspective in that regard is, is something that would definitely benefit both sides in the conversation around police and community relations. Um, I'll remind you just procedurally that um, that post is filled by Chief Cobb, um, unlike most other boards and commissions where you know the mayor uh, makes that suggestion and, and council um, approves it. Um, I still have full confidence in the chief that he's uh, looking to fill that position with someone who um, can definitely provide a new perspective. Um, and I, I, I guess that's just all I wanted to say. I just wanted to bring that up um, since we're talking about the value of, um, of new perspective. So that's my comment. Thank you. We turn the microphone on for L'Oreal. Please state your name and city of residence. Um, I'm Lori. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay. I'm L'Oreal Allen. Um, I'm in Champaign, Illinois, and I'm in the ninth grade. Um, funding, uh, the funding that you guys have just got should go towards um, the different groups that are in need for that instead of trying to uh, get donations from people and um, trying to seek for other help. If you guys are getting uh, money for things um, that go along the lines with that, then you should pour into communities and groups like that. Um, the extra buildings and the people that need need help with those with um, living spaces and places to go and stay, um, they should go towards that. Um, I just think that you guys are putting money into the wrong things and that you should give people um, the right to say and give like like how people vote. Um, you should give them the right to say on what they think that money should go towards. It shouldn't always be about you. Um, people should be able to say what they have to say. Everyone has an opinion on everything. And I just think that the money that you guys are getting should go into the community instead of your guys yourselves or your whatever building you guys are working in because that's just not fair and it's not equally provided around everyone. Um, and I just think that the funding should go towards the communities that need it the most. Thank you. Thank you. I'll turn the microphone on for Rita Connerly. Good evening, Council. Can you hear me? Yes. State your name and city of residence, please. Sure. My name is Rita Connery. I reside in Champaign, Illinois. I'm excited to see that we are receiving more funding. I'm a little disappointed that there's not any mention of permanent shelter for our nearly 140 unhoused citizens across our city. I would like to see more discussions as it relates to housing the less vulnerable populations of people here in our community. I think it's great that we are pouring into youth programs. Um, my children are a part of some of the youth programs in which you are seeking to um, invest in, programs such as DREAM. 
um, other organizations such as First Followers who really work to improve the lives of those who have previously been incarcerated are also great programs. Um, as you know, that many folks who have previously been incarcerated are um, reduced down to a second class status um, as a citizen or not citizen. But what I'd also like to say is that since 2015, our crime has increased. I think Tracy Parson, you shared um, a crime prevention, I'm sorry, you shared the gun violence incidences before and during COVID and they have increased over the last year by 158%. I think this further goes to show or express that what you're stating is probably not the most effective or truth in that um, you guys are um, selective in choosing who it is you feel safe working with. Feeling safe working with is not helping for the betterment of, of our community as a whole. So it is gatekeeping, it is nepotism. Um, what I'd also like to speak with, uh, speak on is to the fact that the old ways are not contributing to effective change of what we're currently facing with the new. There needs to be young, fresh faces at the table or whatever table we're speaking about. I'm also interested in learning more about the 10 points that Tracy's coalition has, as Carrie noted it, it's Tracy's coalition. I'm also interested in the task force. Who sits on this task force? Then when are they out in the streets? Again, I live in what you guys would consider a high-risk community, Garden Hills, and I can't recall any coalition members ever knocking at my door specifically. I'd also like to know who some of your violent um, prevention folks are. We don't know the faces of these people, but what we do know is who has been out there since May. You guys know who have been out there since May. I don't believe that sending funds to churches are going to prevent the crimes that we're faced with. When's the last time that you've heard of citizens turning in guns into the church? Into the church? So I think those are some things that we need to consider. In addition to, we have a community of folks who have been hurt by the church as previous speakers have, have spoke to their experiences of being hurt by the church. Not to say that the church isn't beneficial to some people, but to others, it's homophobic as hell. Let's just be honest about it. What I would like to see more funding pouring into are our youth programs. I'd also like to see them pouring into the less vulnerable populations of people. As Justin has explained, there is a pantry, as you guys who work at the city building see, sitting right there at the city building. There needs to be a monthly stipend that goes into making sure food is supplied to our less vulnerable population of people who may not have the, the resources in order to provide just a simple meal. There needs to be funding poured into PPE to make sure that people have the proper protection needed. We've visited CU at home. They are to capacity. If they are to capacity, people who need a place to sleep, they are on the streets. We need more benches installed and take the benches with the little bars out the middle. People need a place to sit and lay down because we don't have homing, uh, homing or homeless shelters. I'm disappointed in the city and I'm disappointing the people making the decisions on how funding will be spent. It is, it is my hopes that the, the, that the potential partners listed 
are not the only partners that you are considering. My hopes are that you will reconsider some of the potential partners, pour more into our youth programs, assist small black businesses, the rent and mortgage assistance, make sure that those fundings go to our yes, black and Latina populations of people. I apologize that I'm out of, out of time, but I have so much more to say. However, what I'm hoping is that we really, we really do look into pouring into our black and brown youth and start to bring more new fresh faces and voices to the table. Thank you, council, have a great evening. Thank you. There are no other members of the audience with their hands raised. Council comments, anybody? Council member Kyles. Oh, well, thank you all for the, uh, to the, uh, to the presenters, the speakers. Um, like always, you know, a well-rounded conversation. Um, I guess I'm kind of uh, surprised. I actually thought today was going to be somewhat um, celebratory all the way around, um, understanding that the, the, uh, we focused on one section, um, but there are four sections that I mean, let's just be honest, if we really want to, as a council, um, be able to do more, then, you know, as we talk about our budget conversations, we would, um, you know, change financial policy and, and dip into the reserves. Now, what does that mean? That means that, I mean, you all know what dipping into reserves, you all know that the issue is, uh, um, these issues are, are definitely great and they're definitely needed to be addressed. But the only way that I, I mean, a lot of times when we talk about um, um, helping communities um, with many disparities, black and brown specifically, a lot of times we are talking about it from a grant perspective and a standpoint. And so anytime you're talking about a grant or temporary funding, um, you know, those, those things, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of, usually I'm pretty good at, 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 at masking as far as just being able to, to kind of go with the flow. But I, I think that we gotta take a pause. And uh, I think personally that I'd like to thank staff for the work that they are doing um, and have done over the last, not just year, but years. And I think that sometimes, well, I don't think I know when we get into these conversations, even though our questions are direct as they should be, sometimes it almost seems like it's an interrogation process. And when we go home, when they go home and <laughs> they're not dealing with a lot of resources and I dealing with a lot of volunteers and we're not dealing with a lot of consistency at times. I do believe in bringing new people to the table all the time. Um, I'm not against that. And if that we wanna do an RFP process, um, as it was mentioned, just realize that it's gonna be a longer process. But the reality is these guys, these women and men have been putting in a lot of work and uh, we just definitely need to continue to say, hey, you know, we bring up forth our ideas and that's great. And we also bring forth direction as council, that's great. 
But I just wanted to take a pause and say thank you. Um, I wasn't going to mention this, not to really anybody, to be honest with you, uh, because just everything I do, I just don't tell people about it. I just, but the food pantry, I thought it was a great idea. I actually uh, spent some time with a donor. Um, actually, yesterday, we spent about 30, maybe 45 minutes stocking the uh, the food pantry. I wasn't gonna say anything, not because because I don't want the I don't want any credit for it. I just want to do it because it's the right thing to do. But I'm mentioning it because I want you to know that it's a lot of people that don't say anything that really do care, but they don't want any credit, they don't want any accolades, and they don't want to be seen as anything. It's just, you're helping the homeless. You're helping people that's less fortunate. Um, it's a value of ours, and that's something that we're doing. So um, I think the food pantry is a great idea um, and look forward to seeing people um, support it continuously. And, you know, I mean, I'm saying it because a lot of times when we come up, when, we, when I hear public comment that says, we don't care. It's just, it could be no farther from the truth. It just can't be, you know? And, and I did it for an organization. We did it for an organization that came out against me. <laughs> so, so it's, it, it had, it, it, it's like I told you, I've been saying this over and over again. We have some problems that we're at war with, but it seems like we're on, when we all get on these calls and, and public comment lately is we're at war with each other when we're really not. Uh, to the process, I, I like um, before, I understood what was being tried to be done. Um, and I also understand council commented input as far as getting um, fresh blood, new take people to the table. I understand how the community coalition works and it's not a closed group at all. Anybody and everybody who wants to participate um, in the community coalition as a part of the process can. Um, and, you know, as far as um, the one thing that I, I would say that I would would like to see, and I don't know really, because when you talk, the need is so great in the rental and the utility and rentals and mortgage space alone. But if we can look at something with utilities, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at the numbers that you all are working with, and we're not talking about monumental dollars in any of those buckets. But anything that could be done would be great. Um, thank you for the work that you are doing. And I look forward to continuing on with that work and the work with our, of our community partners. Anyone else with comments? Councilmember Beck. So I wanted to just clarify a few things that I had made comments through my uh, questions about. So. I don't want to leave the impression that I'm not thankful for the work that's being that's been done. I am. I'm quite thankful for the work that's been done by organizations, but also by our staff to come together to create something that we need to do to put out quickly. Um, because the most important thing we can do is provide relief to our community right now, to people that are hurting, that are in peril of losing their housing that are uh, you know, meeting and uh, educational support. Those are our most important things that we need to do right now. Um, and that's what the, this, the intent of this grant
grant is. And so we need to move quickly and we need to make sure that we place the money where it needs to be, uh, where the, the need is greatest. I ask the questions that I ask because that's my job. My job is to ask the questions to make sure that we are putting the money in the places that is most that are most needed and also to to pose questions that will make us think about the issue from maybe another perspective. So I think that the idea of the violence interruption program is, is a great idea. My hesitation in that program is that we simply were never given any information about it at all. And I really don't think that, uh, you know, I, I, I really wish that we would have been provided with more comprehensive information about the program because I feel like I'm approving some money to go to a program for which I don't know much about. Um, and I do know that there are lots of people working on violence interruption in our community and have been struggling and trying to make a go of that. And I know of some of those organizations that have been doing it, but uh, when I know that there are needs like unmet utility needs in our community that we could actually put money toward and then I'm presented with a program that I have not seen the proof of, and I hear you using words like evidence-based, but yet I don't know what that means in this context because I've not seen the evidence for those programs. Um, then I feel like there should have been more comprehensive information given to me so that I can make a better decision about that because I would really love to be able to give people utility uh, assistance if that's an allowable expense underneath this program. And um, that includes water shutoff, right? That's a crucial piece for health, public health right now, water. So I guess that I, I'm not against having this piece in there. And uh, I think that the, I, I'm all in for the community engagement program for um, CU Try. I, I know CU Try, I think it's a great program. I am all in for that. I just wish we would have had more information to be able to consider this in a more comprehensive fashion. I also think that by presenting these four identified congregations to us, what you've done is made a, a supposition that we are going to go along with those organizations, that those are the best organizations that you've identified, but then maybe they're not because we haven't actually taken the opportunity as a council to think about that. And so I, I really would like to see if we go ahead and go with this 10 point coalition, which I, I wish I knew what the 10 points were, um, that we would be able to uh, open that up a little bit more broadly and maybe not to the universe as wide as the universe, but maybe to at least coalition partners because the coalition is open to everyone um, to be able to uh, apply through that. Um, so, so those are my thoughts this evening. And I, I do appreciate the fact that you've worked diligently to get this to us and the information quickly to us. Um, I know it's hard, um, but I think that, uh, you know, we can get this done before January and have, um, have the money in the hands for people that we need it most. So those are my final comments. Anyone else? Councilman Foreman. 
I have no issue with any of the things that were presented to us. The issue I have is, is that oftentimes we are treated like robots. I am not a robot. I have questions. I'm a human. And the fact that I receive resistance when I ask questions instead of the information that I need, that makes it difficult to do my job. And no, some woman, nothing to hide, hides nothing. And I don't understand why a council member would interpret us asking questions as interrogations. We're supposed to ask questions. Everyone should know that we are asking questions and we're looking at things. I've heard from too many community members who want to be involved, who cannot get to the table. And they ask me, how do I get to the table? That is not cool. It is not okay for people to feel that they can't get to the table. No one's saying that anyone else shouldn't be there. But I'm the kind of person that if you don't give me a seat at the table, I'm gonna make one for myself. Everybody doesn't have the same tenacity that I do. And they have the same fight that I do and the same fight that you do. But the issue I have is when you are talking to a staff member and you're telling them that this is perceived and they can't see that they are the decision maker, every one of our staff members who, fund, who do funding for any organization is over the control of what happens. And any type of anything they do should be perceived as them opening up to the community. But for you, for anybody to sit in front of me on this computer and pretend like y'all haven't seen the same name since 2009, since 2004 when I graduated from high school, because I will bust out names if I need to. We have seen the same exact groups of people at the table. There's nothing wrong with getting another perspective and finding out what's, and, and finding out a different avenue to do something. And I, I say that not just in the city council. We have the same problem at the school board. We have the same problem at the school district. If we keep recycling the same people and the same ideas, how are we going to change anything? It's it's no different than that topic. So I just I really want I really I, I really have to push back on that because it should totally be okay for me to ask questions. It should totally be okay for council member Beck to ask questions and get her questions answered. And the fact that we don't get support when we are asking questions from other council members and that other council members don't see that, you know, we're seeking out information or, um, you know, seeing that, that's, that's concerning. We're not robots. And I have to tell you that rubber stamping things is not my job. Just because you put something in front of me and you make it look how you want it to look, that does not provide me the information I need to know. You have to provide me all of the information so I can make the best decision based on what you provided me. But if you continue to give me information that's only what you want me to see, then I'm only gonna make the decision that you want me to make. And that is not complete transparency and that is not what we're here for. And I don't care if anybody disagrees with me or not, but nobody sitting on this city council can tell me that you have information about every police department, everything in the police. You have everything about the departments. We all struggle with getting information, but nobody wants to speak on it. And I'm going to speak on it because we're not robots and that's our job. And we should all want to know how things are decided. And I guess I'm kind of concerned that so many people are okay with the status quo. We shouldn't be okay with the status quo. What's been working hasn't been working and it's okay to, to, to do something new. And I think to Angie Brooks's, um, Councilmember Brooks's point, um, we have a whole subset of the community that is not included in the gun violence that is a, is a huge epidemic. We actually had a murder at the corner of, I wanna say William and Duncan, and that's getting pretty close to district five we're getting up there out there to district five. And so those those phone calls that you get from district five ain't gonna be the phone calls you get from district one and district three. So I, I'm just, I'm, I'm saying that out loud because it, it's a reality and I, I like to, to speak in reality terms and too many people are speaking in, oh, well, it might happen. This is reality. The reality are we have bodies dropping. We have people who want to help. We should not have an issue where we have so many people who wanna help and we have to limit the pool. That's all I'm saying. And there should be no resistance from that. There should be no resistance from giving me information or answering my questions about anything. That should be transparent because the city of Champaign promotes transparency. Anyone else? Councilmember McCiles. Uh, no issue, as I mentioned above, about asking questions, concerns, even demanding answers. 
said that. Um, all I said, and I still stand by that, is that, you know, these proposals, particularly this one um, and other proposals, and again, never said not expanding our pool. Never said that as well. Never disagreed with that. All I'm suggesting is um, we know how hard and diligent that this work is. Uh, and if we want to continue to expand the work, look at the money, look at where it's coming from. It's coming from a grant. It's coming basically from, most of this stuff comes from outside CDBG money, things like that. If we want to, to have a, a deeper conversation, I'm definitely willing to have a deeper conversation about basically funding this I mean, the issue is so great, it's going to take a lot of money, but I'm definitely down for having that conversation on, you know, how does this become a line item budget where we're talking about it yearly as opposed to, um, you know, we got it, it's an initiative or a lot of the reason why our programs, you know, you talk about community programs, um, why they have varied results is only because a lot of times we're talking from the start. We're always talking about a pilot project or a pilot program. I think this is this this work is actually a culmination. In fact, I know it's a culmination of work that actually was done since Kiwan Carrington. That's the whole reason the community coalition existed um, because staff made a diligent effort to say that when people came out. You know, and people came out just as angry and upset and people have a right to, and people were definitely, I mean, the stuff that we hear today was nothing compared to the stuff that we heard 10 years ago. So I think the conversations are definitely more um, targeted, but 10 years ago, people were calling us everything, but the community coalition and this plan was worked through. And I just think that it's, it's, it's anytime you put something through a governmental process, I think this is what you get. Um, I don't necessarily, I don't know. I think, you know, I don't, I think personally, uh, love to have some conversations outside of this, um, this, this, um, zoom call. Um, and I definitely, like I said, I stand by what I said, you know, um, I think staff's doing a, a great job. Um, I think new players coming to the table definitely um, excited about. It doesn't matter what you believe in what I believe. You don't have to believe the same thing as long as we're trying to go. We don't have to believe exactly the same thing as long as we end up with the same result. So um, just want to thank everybody engaged and involved. Councilman Foreman. And I want to say that I thank staff for everything that they do, but I, it I would be remiss at not admitting that even the city staff is the same people. You're, so I feel like you're, when I say it, you're hearing, you're not hearing me. You're, you're talking, but you're not listening. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that I'm not discounting anybody's work. But the same people have been at the table. Our city manager was a neighborhood services director years ago. That doesn't discount her work. But the same people have been doing the work. Will it's okay for new people to come to the table? It's totally okay. That that doesn't discount anybody. Nobody that doesn't wipe away all the work that anybody else has done. All it does is add to it. And the fact that even you, a council member, are like kind of you know. You kind of you going with the flow of what I said. You're 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 falling into the trap of, of, of exactly what I'm saying, which is you're like, oh yeah, well you know, so you're still not listening. 
Any other council comment? I just, um, I wanna go back to a couple of things. One is I am concerned about timing. Um, I am hearing everything that's being said about taking the time to do an RFP or include additional people. I am wondering, and, and um, maybe Carrie can address this, if some of the things that don't need an RFP, things like the rental assistance and the mortgage assistance and um, the business assistance, if those can move forward while we do the RFP on that piece, or if it, because we have to amend our plan, we need it all to happen together. Because I am concerned about getting dollars out as quickly as we can, particularly with the rental and mortgage assistance. Uh, Mayor, yes, I can answer that. We can break it up. The amendment to the annual action plan does need to speak to the activities, but it doesn't need to include the agencies or their partner names. And But for those contracts that were, would be ready, we could bring those to you in that January, I think, 21st date if we need to take a little bit more time to do um, an RFP or to include a larger group. So we can break up the contracts, but still move forward if Council could give direction that you like the the buckets, if you will, or the those broad program areas. We can sort out later the the partners. Okay, and then my other question with that is, January seems awfully far away, particularly with some of the things that we've already had activity in. Um, like the rental and mortgage assistance or the business assistance. Is there a way to push? I, I don't, I guess I don't understand the timing for the what we need to do with our plan versus being able to get stuff out the door. If it's a we need to have a city council meeting to approve it, if it's that we have to get do something with the feds, I'm not understanding why there's such a significant delay. Sure. A uh, part of that is um, we built in time. The holidays are here. Uh, we do have to have a public hearing. There's a public comment period, although those are much shorter. I believe it's um, I think we're looking at a seven day win window instead of the usual 30 day window. Um, but a big part of that just is our capacity. And I will be honest, we've already had some hits in our office with COVID or people who have to quarantine for COVID. So we've tried to take all that account uh, going into this. And so looking at the council schedule, the holidays, our availability um, and the public comment period, that's how we came to the January 21st. Um, Jennifer's on here as well, if she wants to add, we can certainly squeeze that down. Uh, we could advertise a sooner public hearing. Uh, right now, I think it's scheduled for December 15th. Is that correct, Jennifer? Yeah, that, that is correct. The public comment period is for five days, which is a um, waiver from the CARES Act. And we have a public hearing scheduled for December 15th. So for what it's worth, my, my comment is that I am not insensitive to capacity of staff. Um, we, we have a lot of people working a, a lot of crazy hours with all of this. Um, this is incredibly important. We're not talking about, you know, it taking a few more hours to plow snow or think, I mean, we're talking about evict, well, there's an eviction moratorium, so maybe not evictions, but, um, you know, housing related 
crises, we're talking about businesses that, you know, if we wait till January, they might not need the money because they might not exist anymore. So to the extent that we can speed things up, um, you know, I would urge staff to do that to the best of their ability. You certainly won't hear a complaint from me if this comes back sooner rather than later. And I don't think any other council members would be concerned if the public hearing got moved up without further notice to us. So I urge you to try to do that as much as possible. Um, the other thing is um, with respect to the actual buckets, not so much the partners, but the buckets of money. Um, I have to agree with council member Kyle's in that um, there's just, there's a lot of need and not very much money to go around, although it is significant dollars. Um, and I don't want to discount that. Um, we can't, we can't do everything. Um, and we could choose to do things in smaller buckets, I guess, and kind of hit lots of different areas, or we could try to make a bigger impact in the areas you've suggested. There are some safety nets available in some of the other areas that council is concerned about. It's certainly not enough, and that's a discussion we can continue to have. But for me, I am comfortable with what staff is proposing as the buckets for spending understanding that this is just hitting the tip of the iceberg of all of the need that's out there, but we have to start directing funding um, to start alleviating the need. And this is a good start at doing that from my perspective. Um, so I think, uh, Jennifer, can you put the poll back up? Do you have that slide? So alternative one is direct staff to draft an amendment to the FY 2021 annual action plan and associated subrecipient agreements according to HUD guidelines on CDBG-CV incorporating council input for council action at a regular future meeting. Um, so starting with council member Kyles. Yes. Foreman. Yes. Gladney. Yes. Briggs. Yes. Beck. Yes. Bruno. Yes. Stock. Yes. Ian Fetty. Yes. And I'm a yes. I believe that you have your direction. Thank you for your work. Thank you. City manager. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, given this late hour and the fact that the meeting went a little longer than we expected, um, I'm going to uh, reschedule the study session on MEA for next week. Um, next week is a, um, a regular, this was a special regular because we did not have a meeting last week, but next week would be a regular meeting followed by a study session. We have a relatively short regular meeting next week. So the fact that I'm going to now tuck three study sessions together on next week's agenda, I still think is going to be better than continuing to, to stay here for the study session tonight. Okay, so I need a motion to adjourn. So moved. We have a second. Uh Second. Clerk, please call the roll. Councilmember Gladney? Yes. Kyles? Yes. 
Fianfetti? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bruno Briggs? Yes. Bruno? Yes. Foreman? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes, we are adjourned. Thank you. <laughs>